Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss our top six favorite films of 2018. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Teekman. Hey there, everybody, and welcome in to part one of episode 180 here on Film Tank. I am Alex Teekman, along with Nick Cheney. Hey! <laughs> yeah! And Toussaint Egan. Bonjour! Bonjour. Yes. Bonjour! Bonjour, bonjour, bonjour. There goes the baker with the bread like always. You love there that. goes Tucson going to film tank, film tank. Wow, that was actually really good. Yeah, well not done. bad. You love the uh, Beauty and the Beast animated film. Like yes, it's I do. like in your top fifty, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely. Yeah. And that song is phenomenal. It's mm-hmm. up there. Speaking of top fifties, everybody see that uh, Martin Scorsese put out his uh, top nine hundred and thirty eight <sighs> films of all time? Damn. What, son. what a number. <laughs> you couldn't get to a thousand, huh, Marty? <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> Even Edgar Wright could. <laughs> and he hasn't been on this earth as long as you. That's yeah. factually true. Yeah. Speaking of top lists, on this episode, we are discussing our top six favorite films of 2018. We haven't done a lot of top six episodes over the last couple of years, and we probably should do more. But every year at the end of the year, these are always some of my favorite episodes that we've done. Just because it's fun to look back at films we've reviewed on here, films that we've never even talked about before so th- this is an awesome episode every year so i am very much looking forward to the next hour and a half or so yeah. talking about our favorite films so <laughs> hell yeah uh to be pretty crystal clear of what the the what we're doing here if you've been listening to us th- this long you should know how this works and you should know <laughs> the logic of why we do top 6 you tell them Tucson. yeah speaking of Tucson, why don't you go first oh thanks man since you're already you're already kind of Ready to go. I'm ready to go. Why don't you give us your sixth favorite film of the year and also maybe some honorable mentions, too, if you have some. Okay. Um, Number six was actually probably one of the hardest to actually choose because it's right on that cusp of, like, is it just an honorable mention or is it something that I want to actually have it, like, canonized as, like, my my last one? It's, like, it's almost as hard as, like, number one. Um, so I'm going to start just with a grab bag of, like, some of my honorable mentions leading up to six. Like, not going to talk about them a lot. Um, honorable mentions are uh, Widows. I really enjoy Widows. I actually just watched it today, and I don't understand why this had such a muted response when it came out. Um, I think it's a perfectly competent film. Um, it may not uh, necessarily, like, speak to the prestige of, like, the director's, like, past work or even the screenwriter's past work, but I think rather as sort of an ensemble, like, heist film, it, it definitely doesn't, like, it doesn't punch anywhere near, like, the heights of, like, heat, okay? It's nowhere near that, okay? Let's not get crazy now. But it was a perfectly competent, well-made um, heist film that worked within very convenient paces and just seemed, so it, 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 it was functional. It was perfunctory, but... Had some really good, like, uh, 
cast like performances all along. That's the problem with an ensemble cast like that. You have so many strong actors, and they just sort of like glob into one another instead of like really bringing out like a lot of the best. I guess that's where one of the Christmas come out of. Um, Revenge. I watched Revenge with Nick. I love that film. I do as well. It was a great uh, revenge film uh, <laughs> with, a, with an excellent finale. Just this this bloody. Um, firefight in this in this multicolored. Don't forget about dicks. Yo, there are a lot of dicks in there too. It was like, and, and it was it was it was. You could almost set that la- that final scene to Benny Hill, and it would be <laughs> and it would be just as fucking terrifying. Oh yeah, they are literally slipping on blood. They're literally slip, like, but it was holy fucking shit, and you could be like, just the dubstep version. No, literally, like where you slow it down, it becomes like that creepy like horror movie twist music that you have like halfway through a trailer. I don't know if the Benny Hill music would work when she sticks her hand into his fucking liver, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, that might be a little bit. Um, next up uh, for honorable mentions is Sorry to Bother You. Now, I was really looking for okay. I was looking forward to Sorry to Bother You a lot, and I it's think right. there are a lot of things that I enjoy about this film as a first time effort. <laughs> sorry to bother you. Hey, man, it's cool. I it's all you. good. It's all good. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> are you sorry to bother me when you fucking interrupt me when I'm talking about Sorry to Bother You? It's fine. It's fine. Oh, great. That's cool. Thanks. Um, sorry to bother you. What are you looking at me for? Yeah. Sorry to bother you is a – I think it's a good film, and there's a lot of moments in it that actually strike out as some of my favorite moments um, in film this past year, especially when <coughs> Stephen Jung is talking to the, the main character and being like, hey, man, if you show people a problem and you don't give them a means to actually address that problem, then they'll just – grow to accept it and maybe even just um, inoculate themselves from it and to even internalize it into like sort of like a meme. Like Helps this, it thrive. Like, yeah, this this gallows humor because you don't give them an agency to actually like address it. They just take it as like an ambient condition of their, of their lived existence. And I'm just like, holy fucking shit. More people need to hear that, okay? Uh, yeah. more, more activists need to hear that. Um, I think that it suffers from – being a first-time film and a first-time effort in that you're trying to put so much into it that it doesn't really do the film a lot of favors. It's a great shock film. Like it was, it was, it was awesome watching it in the theaters and getting everybody's reaction. Even like going to see it multiple times, it was still kind of effective in that. But it doesn't. I haven't watched it since the I'm, theater. I'm still, and I'm not. I'm not. Doesn't change my opinion of the no. film at all. Yeah. But the fact that Boots Riley came out on the strong offensive against Spike Lee right after definitely gave me a negative connotation to his film. Hmm, yeah. Um, yeah, that was slightly unfortunate because I just – that – I don't I don't even know how – well, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, because I'm going to like get off a, on a that's tangent. A whole, that's a whole other But I agree with you in the sense that I was slightly disappointed after a movie that came out like Sorry to Bother You, which was in no way perfect, yeah. that he would think that uh, – I don't know that he that would be well received. That oh, yeah. like now that I have a platform, it's up to me to show everybody what is really going on. I'm the black filmmaker now. I'm yeah. just like you know, even Spike Lee on his bat on his worst day, like he still made like do the right thing. He still made like so many great films. Shrek. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> um, so it's just like, why are you trying to slap box with God? <laughs> it's like, um, and it was just weird that somebody who would make such a surreal fantasy <clears throat> would get bent out of shape 
at another African American Titan for not telling a quote unquote well, true story. I think it's more of to do with the fact of the the politics of the portrayal of of policing, and oh, no, I think sure. and I and I and I think that there is definitely but that's also something he reads into it as a text. Yeah, there there are other. There, there's definitely a fault line in in perspectives as that, and I can see like I'm not trying to play both sides in the, in this sort of equation. No, no. Again, no. this is for a much a much longer, very different but episode it, it, than what it, we're it, doing the, right the now. The thing is, though, it also wasn't a comment. He just made in an interview. Like mm-hmm. he went out of his way to write. Yeah, right. he did that. Damning piece on well, it. Well, while we're having this interview, I've already like written this uh, six-page screed that I was <laughs> going to post on my Tumblr, but now I'm just going to read it to you and have you publish it. Um, anyway, <laughs> moving on from Sorry to Bother You. Um, no, sorry. Alex Garland's Annihilation. Um, I love Alex Garland. I think that he is a great director, a great writer. Um, Ex Machina is one of my favorite science fiction films of like the past couple of years. It's one of our best episodes. If you haven't listened to it yet, you should go back and listen it's to it. Because our, it's one of our highest rated yeah. films. Yeah. Still, even though it was like our three of yeah, us. It, first year. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, um, it was a great effort. But I think that in adapting Jeff Vandermeer's writing, I feel like his whole concept was like, you know, he read it once and he – basically forgot about it and he sort of tried to write it as though he was r- recollecting a dream yeah that's what and that's says. what it, and that's what it feels like as a film and while there are some parts of it that i really do enjoy like the um the reintroduction of the one actress from ex machina as sort of the alien presence as a dancer like i think that that was one of my favorite moments of that film um there's a lot of really beautiful set pieces, but it just doesn't really cohere into something that is as memorable and as distinct and as unnerving as how I felt when I watched like Ex Machina. Is the source material like that though, or no? The source material is. Um, it seems it, like it's a lot more sciencey. It's 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 not more sciencey. It's more. Um, it's it's it's. They're very, they're very similar, so similar and very different. In that one is the 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 the, the, um, the book is more about environmentalism and how because we have changed our environment so much, it is now changing in ways that we could never have like conceived of or predicted, and now. After having control over over the space for so long, it has now grown out of our control, and now we have to learn to ourselves adapt to the very like like compounding, reverberating effects of what we have affected in our world. With that, with this one, it's more of like an actual alien presence that is exerting itself and trying to sort of like like bridge that divide of understanding because. For the shimmer and like the the presence that's in there, like it's just doing what it does in the same way that a human being would do what it does when it goes into a space. It gathers food. It 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 builds a house. It and you put enough humans in one space, they end up making a city or something like that. The shimmer is only operating by by what it what it is programmed to do, so to speak, right? Yeah. And so it's really just trying to like elapse that sort of like alienness. Um. It plays with the alienness, not so much the environmentalism, is okay. what I'm saying. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, I, I think that it's it's not a bad film. It's just not anywhere near. He should stick to original material. <laughs> I, I'm I'm just saying that 
like Garland, you can write so well. You you could you could probably write a, a film that is more in line with Annihilation without having to adapt Annihilation. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm just like like read that and then read the Crystal World and read like all types of other like like Anthropocene fiction. You could do this shit. Like I know he can. Um. So my final my final um honorable mention was right there neck and neck with um my 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 sixth number and. It was a film that really polarized me, but by the end of that film, I did not want the film to end. Fox Lux. No. <laughs> no. I resent you for making me go see that film with you, Alex. Thank you. Um, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> anyway. Um, Fox fucks you. So, <laughs> more like Vox fucks. Um, so my last honorable mention is Suspiria. Ooh. I enjoyed Suspiria. Um, that's not a popular opinion because I actually watched <laughs> I watched the original because Nick lent it to me. Yeah. Uh, and I watched it before we went to go see it in the theater. And I've been meaning to watch Suspiria for many, many years now. And what I can say is that if you put these two films stacked to that, stacked to that together, there's no contest. The original Dario Argento film just blows this one out of the water. I think so. I think that it, it is a consummately beautiful, interesting, like just just figurehead for giallo horror film. Like by comparison, Luca, what's his name? Guadagnino. Guadagnino's uh, <laughs> Suspiria could never be. To film right now and horror film right now, what Dario Argento's film was and is to Giallo film in its time. It, there's just no way. And, and, and uh, but on its own, as its own sort of film, like at first I was bored, but I kind of like the sum of all these different parts, even if they are more obvious and more like blunt compared to the subtlety that is in Ar- Ar- Argento's original. Like I just – I can't say that I don't fucks with it because I do, but it's, I know that this is just like – I know this is an orange juice. This is Sunny D, but I enjoy it for what it is. Know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so finally getting to my top six. Um, sorry to belabor this so much, oh, but yeah. You're good, buddy. My, my number six is Area Aster's Hereditary. I enjoyed Hereditary. And the reason why this was so neck and neck with Suspiria is that I feel like – here's what I feel about Hereditary. I think that it's a puzzle box. It's a puzzle box of a film, and once you understand it, like there's nothing more that it is than, 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 than what it is. It, it, it's like understanding that – so this, this matriarch of a home has basically entered into this pact with a demon – and has tried to basically offer up her family as sort of a as, as sort of a compact to basically like live forever through her own coven, right? She dies, and her resulting cruelty and her machinations end up bearing on the emotional like health of her daughter, who is the head of her own family, and all of the things that she loses. The scene where um, Charlie dies is probably what tipped this over 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 Suspiria because as scary as the scene in Suspiria is with like the glass mirror like room as beautiful and terrifying as that is nothing like made my chest sink 
than that extended long ta- that that extended long sequence from the tension building up to her putting her head out the out the the window to Tony Collette just weeping, just sobbing from like her gut and saying, "I want to die." on the floor of her bedroom and then panning over to the son who has to just overhear that like that. That is one of the most affecting scenes from any film, let alone a horror film that one of the most affecting sequences of any film I've had in, 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 in this entire year. And after that, there's nothing in the film that really like really matches that. For for sheer like emotional heft and weight, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I think I know what Alex is going to say, which yeah. is uh, the, the, me and him gravitate dinner towards table scene. the dinner scene. Oh, that's true. Where yeah. they have it out, which seems like the the culmination of the of the previous. Yeah, and a, of the pent up terror. Like after, I mean, obviously there's the initial shock, right. and Whatnot, but after that, then it's a lot of repression going on, right? And, and then it kill. explodes again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and so. Um, but that's the last peak, I think, in that film when it comes to like the actual like emotional duress, because then it just leans entirely into supernatural horror. It does, yeah. So I, I agree that it can be kind of uh, topsy turvy mm-hmm. in its weight and whatnot. But yeah, yeah, I think that it's a it's a well made film. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what Ari Aster like produces next. Um, Tony Collette is is extraordinary. And the fact that she was snubbed um, fucking infuriates me to no end. I agree. Yeah. Um, who is next? Me. Me. You. Hello. Hello. Me. You. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. No, I uh, I just want to say I also love Hereditary. Mm-hmm. Um, so, my honorable mentions, I'll just kind of say what the uh, six through ten were for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, number ten was the movie that me and... Uh, Alex just saw recently, which was Shoplifters. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, the film by Hiro Kazu Koreida. And um, I thought that was just a fantastic film, and it just perfectly uh, measured in its pacing and how it doled out information. Uh, and even even though, obviously, for me, and I think for a lot of people, the ending certainly makes the film and like wraps it up. <laughs> To where you can see the complete package in a beautiful way. The, the ending lets you make up your own mind about the characters in the film, yeah. mm. which is very interesting because that is making up your own mind is like a staple of the um, plot line of the film. Yeah, I yeah. would say so. It's it's it it, it you get re- to write your own works. history, literally. Um, but boy, that is. That is a slippery slope when you get into that, which is oh, why yeah. someday I think we should definitely do an episode on that film because yeah. I think it's warranted. Absolutely. Okay. And uh, what I was going to say is that even though the ending makes it, I also, for myself, was just loving the family drama that was uh, ensuing up until that point because it was so lived in and so real and whatnot. So, Absolutely. Um, number nine is The House That Jack Built. Uh, the more I think about that film, the more I absolutely love it. Yeah, uh, I just it's... think Lars von Trier is unfortunately uh, just one of my guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <and> <laughs> I just, I just, I just really fucks what he's about, man. Pretty much. <laughs> you know what? He's a gentleman. 
Okay. He oh is. my God, Alex! He doesn't go after the uh, you, the easy target. You, you take such perverse glee in that line. Were, I have never seen you laugh harder at a film. Was, was, I mean, it was it was no robot in Rocky Four, but yeah, there was something about it that tickled me. For yeah, it was reason. good. That was like shock laughter. Like, oh my God, I can't believe he just said that. Yep, it's great. Uh, <laughs> Number eight is a little film by one of my favorite directors currently working is Andrew High uh, called Lean on Pete, mm. which is uh, it was a small film about a boy who's living in very uh, troubled home life, but mm. not like mean spirited. It's not like he uh, has like a drunk and abusive father. He just doesn't have a home life that is enough to support him. And then he conducive has to, to his emotional health. Yeah. And so he has to take drastic measures to cope and ultimately react to something tragic that comes out of it. And it's, it's a gorgeous movie, uh, cinematography-wise, and it ends up being so many things in so many ways and some great, tiny supporting performances from the likes of Steve Buscemi and Chloe Sevigny um, that I genuinely think that's one of the most underseen films of the year that people really should have been talking about. I had never even heard of it before. Now. It's fantastic. Yeah. Alex gave it to me for Christmas oh, after yeah. I, I had been talking about it all year. So Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And then my last honorable mention I don't even really have to talk about because we just did was was uh, number seven just off my list was Suspiria. Okay, it's one of those where I'll admit that like it's it's not some kind of you know new horror no. canon classic. No, absolutely not. But for me, when I was watching it from scene to scene, I personally was just getting more and more engrossed with That's it. That's what I'm saying. As it went on, which I feel like is actually the ultimate test of horror because a lot of times, like we talked about Hereditary, right. some of the dangers of horror is having your quote-unquote set pieces happen early on mm-hmm. and then the fear and the... yeah. You become reality. too familiar to it. Yes. Whereas this never let the curtain truly come done until the final, or I should say, penultimate sequence right. when it was the right time. And I honestly, that final sequence uh, uh, in the room and whatnot, I still think is fantastic. I think that the strobe light effect is a little. That's that's a little much. That's I, about, that's I a can little see that. It's not so much that it was like the most original, the most whatever. Right. But in a movie that directly needed to inject something into my veins right. it finally did deliver on that I'm saying that in a scene where the specter of death is summoned by Mother Suspiriorum and like explodes the heads of like all of the disloyal loyalists of like this one witch who is trying to like pull the fast one over everybody and basically another woman having her like guts like spilling out I'm saying that a strobe light <laughs> effect was too gratuitous for that scene. I'm just like, please tone it back. Just just go back to a fucking filter, please. Yeah. 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 So my number six is a film that is probably going to get laughs. But uh, personally, uh, it's one that I've thought the most about, mm-hmm. even if it has the least to say. Because what it has to say is very obvious and blunt. That's a sign of, a, of, of staying power, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. It's just I'm glad it doesn't try to punch outside of its weight. Right. And that is Unfriended Dark Web. Okay. It is, uh, it is the sequel that no one needed mm-hmm. because the first one was actually not great. Like, I enjoyed it because I was just a sucker for the gimmick. Right. So that was the only reason why I went out of my way to see the second film. But the second film, uh, this one, uh, even with its stupid title, uh, is an actual great horror film, in my opinion. Mm. It is something that is timely. It is using its... Uh, uh, 
terrifying backdrop of, yes, technology and uh, the connectedness of the Internet and privacies and whatnot. Uh, but And it is turning it against its own characters. But I still come back to it because it actually uses its gimmick purposefully, respectfully, and accurately. Like, I'm not saying that when you watch the movie, you'll be blown away that this could really happen. Yeah. But it doesn't actually go out of its way. Like a movie that also came out this year called Searching, which was awful in that respect. Like, I actually mm. kind of like that movie, but that's a movie that had the same gimmick where you're watching everything awesome. from a computer yeah. screen and made no sense whatsoever. For example, um, just and I know this is such a little detail, but like Unfriended Dark Web, when you look at something, it only does cuts. So, like, if we cut to something else on the screen, it will then cut to that. Whereas searching had to have everything do the Ken Burns effect where it would or just like, slowly pan over in case you were going to nod off, I guess. Well, it where just, it like zooms in yes. on it? So that way you need – it tells you what to look at, whereas Unfriended <laughs> does a pretty good job of world building in its background. That's like the, the, the Jamarok uh, virtual insanity like music <laughs> video where it pans down and then it yeah. goes back up again. Yeah. One of the things I'll say about Unfriended Dark Web, and I actually did very much enjoy that film, yeah. even though I don't – like it nearly as much as you yeah, do, Nick. It's fire. Um, but the idea that the world in Unfriended Dark Web keeps being exposed as being larger and larger yes. is um, A, pretty well-known. Yeah. Not well-known, but but well-done because... Pretty much the, parallel to that of the actual Dark Web. Well, no, yeah. it's, it starts off with people thinking that it's just... <laughs> Like a horror film, yeah. just one guy. Yeah, it's a cabal of random dorks who don't know what they're doing. Right, and then it turns into this giant conglomerate almost. Yeah, it's like walking down a bad neighborhood thinking you'll be fine. Because, oh, oh, shit, it's the entire yeah, city. But yes, and um, not only that, but that's also pretty much a view on the internet as a whole. When mm-hmm. I post something to Twitter, all I think about are my followers are going to see this tweet. And half the time, I don't even think that. Like I, I genuinely think that. think that no one's actually going to see my tweet, even yeah. though I know that that is literally the social contract that I'm entering when I go onto that site, let alone the fact that my profile is public it can be retweeted at any moment and Mm. you know whatever so uh we have such a myopic view on our actions on the internet and i think unfriended dark web actually does eviscerate that notion and it does it with some wonderful payoffs to a lot of random stuff that you genuinely think is random for example the sign language uh computer program that the uh, yeah. guy makes yeah. the random new stereo that somebody bought. Uh, there are so many little moments that you think are just boring character details, I think, upon a first pass that actually end up being, unfortunately, our downfall. I really want Tucson to see it because, yeah. A, I think he'll enjoy it. I do, mm-hmm. too. And, B, uh, I really do want you to see the character who thinks that everything is <laughs> everyone is out to get him. Yeah. Um, just because I feel like you won't be able to make it through the whole film. Oh. <laughs> but one scene will be... Especially satisfying. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> but yeah, no. but but early on in the film, when he starts on his rant about how Facebook and Twitter are free because they're actually you're the actual the person and they're the consumer. Oh, like, is that supposed to be the proxy for me? No, 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 no but just like all this shit no, that you no, hate. I, yeah, I, I, all the I, shit that I hate. Yeah, I, I guess I'm I'm saying that I want to watch it with you and right. want you to see it because I feel like you're gonna like. Give it a second to be like, okay, I'll listen. Then after like three seconds, be like, like nah, nah, nah. But nah, all the other characters nah, do nah. the same thing. Yeah, in re- pretty in much, yeah. Whatever. So, yeah. yeah, I think Unfriended Dark Web 
is incredibly underrated. And if you have any passing interest, you don't even have to watch the first. You uh, it's not related, so just give it a shot. I was literally. This is a small aside, but it ties into this. Like I was literally in a coffee shop a couple of uh, days ago, talking to um, uh, a, a friend, an associate. And eventually the, the conversation moved to me literally just saying out loud in a very, very matter-of-fact voice. And I was like, uh, no, uh, fuck Elon Musk, fuck Jeff Bezos, fuck Mark Zuckerberg, fuck all those fucks. Like, bring back the estate tax and also actually put in, like, meaningful legislation because our antitrust laws are so woefully out of date that we now have Congress, like, interviewing Zuckerberg and essentially just asking him to, like, help them reset his phone. Like, fuck that. Maybe he is that guy from Unfriended. Oh, my God. That's what I'm saying. I was just like, look, that's what I feel. Anyway, continue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's my the, number. The congressional hearings with Mark Zuckerberg were not great. Yeah. We well, like we really appreciate I liked it. We really appreciate you liked it. Some what bitch. The fuck. Uh, just like a Facebook joke. Uh, uh, oh, okay, I get it now. Yeah. Yeah. We, re- we really appreciated uh, your story about how you uh, founded your company in your uh, dorm room. The social you, network was really good. Because you kept on uh, repeating that you made it in your Did you see Aaron Sorkin uh, your, wants to make a second one of those? Dorm room. <laughs> He's going to go back to his dorm room and, uh, you know. Uh. So could you theoretically, uh, you could theoretically look up people's information. Yeah. God I could. God help. <laughs> God help us all. <laughs> anyway, continue. Sorry. No, Just like you was... could theoretically launch nuclear bombs. Yeah. <laughs> so that was Next. My... <laughs> Next. Number six. Next. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. <clears throat> Pardon me. So, honorable mentions, I've got quite a few that I wanted to get to, because I do think that uh, even though the top uh, definitely produced quite a few good films this year, there was a lot of films that were kind of stuck in that middle area, and so there are a bunch I want to mention. Um, first, uh, Tucson already mentioned it, but Revenge was absolutely fantastic. It's mm. a film I would have never seen without Nick uh, bringing it to the forefront, so yep. I'm very glad he did, as I was a big fan. Uh, another film that is not necessarily near my top six, but is a film I really enjoyed and I'm looking forward to seeing again, is Overlord. Ah. Uh, yeah. I, I thought that was a super underrated film that uh, nobody saw. And we took a see it together, didn't we? We yeah. did. Yeah. And I was just a huge fan, as I really liked the direction of the film. I loved uh, just the pacing. Yeah. And, uh, the, super the, the, entertaining. Yeah. Like, that's, like, literally... Kind of few and far between these days. Well, and I am just a huge sucker for um, occult uh, World War Two action films. I was, gonna, I, I was I was going to say the the idea of of taking something that's real and turning it into science fiction yeah. Is, is, yeah. is very entertaining. They stole Hitler's brain. Yeah, it's, it's it's the same principle with, like, I'm reading the Hellboy comics again right now, and I'm just like, that's the the same sort of through line. It's like, yeah, this was happening in World War II because it's actually, like, based in some measure of fact because the Nazis were fucking crazy and loved that occult shit. So what yeah. if that actually had some bearing on the actual war? Yeah. And I think that, like, Overlord really does take that and write it to the end. Like, I hope there's not an extended universe out of that film because it's just a really good one-off. I don't know. J.J. Abrams produced it. I know. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I remember when people thought it was going to be a Cloverfield movie. I'm really glad it's not because those have gotten very yeah. much worse. What was the we last... should have took that as the first sign that it was going to be an actual decent movie oh when, when it was finally revealed that it, it was wasn't not. going to be a God, movie. I just remembered that film. Yeah, that was uh, right after the Super Bowl. 
Fuck. That might be coming up in our next episode. <laughs> Man, it might be. It might be. Damn. Um, but anyways, Overlord um, is a film that I actually probably will buy when it comes out because I did very much enjoy it. I thought it had fantastic sound editing. I thought a lot of the action sequences were fantastic. And the fact that somebody had a grenade blow up inside their mouth uh, and then blow up other Nazis it was just fantastic. A few others that I want to mention. Uh, speaking of films that nobody saw, uh, the film on Netflix directed by Paul Greengrass, 22 July, mm. was a bit of a divisive film because there were people who had thoughts on it as uh, not fans. You talked about that on the Venom episode. Yep. Yeah. And I still think quality-wise, Paul Greengrass does something that very few other directors aren't able to do, which he's able to... Uh, captivate audiences and also create extreme tension in what I guess I would say are pretty like like not there he he doesn't make blockbusters but he makes films that feel like they're blockbusters wrapped into a small story um, and 22 July gives you everything you could want out of this story while at the same time wrapping up all loose ends for the most part throughout. Mm -hmm. And also too, it just lets the characters for the most part walk through and, and tell the story as it happens. So would, would you say that he makes like blockbuster, th blockbuster thriller biopics? I don't know. I think, I think a lot of his, a lot of his, um, like name off some films by him. Uh, the the Bourne films. Captain okay. Phillips, United ninety three. Captain Phillips, United ninety three. Yeah. The first Captain Phillips. Th those Captain those, Phillips, those United ninety three. Yeah. United ninety three. Yeah, those was, those films I think are of the ilk of like That's his this. recent trend. And he right. did and he did the first three <clears throat> Bourne films? Two. two. No the yeah. wait, did he do the first? Or did no the first two. I first love two. the first I think two. Gilroy I, I do. did the third. Yeah. Which is pretty much thought of as the best, right? Which one? The Bourne Ultimatum. Maybe. Oh, really? I I've actually never seen that. I love the first one. Yeah. Anyway. Anyways, those are the kind of films he's did. Uh, he's done. United 93 is, if you are looking for attention, that is a film that will fuck yeah. you up. Mm -hmm. uh, but this film, 22 July, I really enjoyed. And it's a film that's accessible to anybody who has a Netflix account. So mm. uh, you should check it out. Really quickly, to uh, a few more, because I have lots on my list, so Ooh. sorry about that. Yeah. Um, but I liked quite a few films this year. Uh, maybe it'll get brought up, maybe not. Uh, a Quiet Place, a horror film hey. that uh, horror films are usually not my bag. Ooh, the nail. The nail scene. That <laughs> still, mm. still can't do it for Man, me. that... Mm. Um, however, that is a horror film that really does just hit all the right notes for me, and I was a huge fan of that. And uh, I actually purchased that, or I, I got it for as a Christmas gift from Kenny. But I own very few horror films, so yeah. that pretty much signifies that that is just past the test. It says a lot for me because I quite enjoyed it, didn't love it, but also really much enjoyed it because I love horror or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it says a lot that for as much as I didn't love it, that was the movie I watched on Halloween night this year. You know, yeah. like it was like the first thing I thought of and just instantly put on and yeah. watched yeah. it because yeah. it is just super solid horror that. You can watch with anybody because I even watched it with my mother who hates horror. Yeah. The creature design was cool. I liked it. The sort of uh, the cochlear implant and the organic cochlear sort of like. As vibe. somebody who wears hearing aids, yeah. I was very happy to find out that hearing aids are super powered. But there you go. <laughs> We're the true heroes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man. Hey. 
There you go. <laughs> uh, what? The, yeah. <laughs> the uh, film that definitely flew under the radar for most everybody and almost nobody saw it as well uh, was the uh, Joe Paterno film starring yeah. Al Pacino. Uh Anybody should go see that because the whole story behind it is absolutely horrifying. I was thinking that was going to be in your top six, like right yeah. at the end, maybe. It's on the cut. Co- it was on I was the cut. Co- yeah. I knew it, the, that's what's that, hard, man. It's, that in get... my second, my my last uh, honorable mention that I'm going to mention, mm-hmm. were on the cusp. Uh, and Paterno probably actually may have knocked its way in more than the other film, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it was. Um, First of all, the opening scene of that, if you are into sports at all and you knew the Joe Paterno sports story, but at the same time knew about how big of a deal the Jerry Sandusky story was, but also how big of a deal the breaking of that story was and it becoming public. Alex, the- I, I don't know shit about sports. I know about that story. That's how big it was. No, but you, the, 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 the fact that it all came together at the same time mm-hmm. in the span of in the 48 sp- hours right but oh, the fact shit. that joe paterno broke the record for most college wins the next day basically jerry sandusky it came out like under the radar and then it basically exploded overnight mm-hmm. um the opening scene which is just is taking place during the game uh where he's having his getting his 400 and whatever some win uh, and Jerry Sandusky is attending that game. Uh, the opening scene of that film is absolutely fantastic. Mm. I agree with that. And the rest of the film is honestly uh, very, very, very good. And it actually gets a really good performance by Al Pacino. Yeah, which that's rare. Does not while. happen. That's fucking rare. <laughs> yeah, she's um, got a great ass. <laughs> Can I say something as someone who's not a sports fan, mm-hmm. especially football? Because that's just like the one sport I definitely don't care about. What is the one sport you care about, if you were to say? Hockey. Uh, hockey. All right. And then from a personal, as far as like a sport I actually like to play, if I'm ever going to play anything ever right. again right. in my life, it's right. tennis. Okay. okay. Yeah. Fair um, today. I was going to say, the opening sequence is so good because it kind of is so objectively angled, which is not to say it doesn't have a agenda, so to speak, uh, but as a non-sports fan, I was able to get enraptured by that scene because of the fact that I felt like you could literally watch this from so many different lenses, which is that, one, you could watch the dual nature of you know the ascension of Paterno's legacy going up at the same moment that, obviously, it's about to go down, or you could watch it from kind of a biased perspective like myself, where I was like... The whole thing's about to crash and burn. Yeah, where I was like, and oh, look at the, the, the roots of, the, of this college system is literally about to take fruit uh and, and like this is like because i just have a lot of feelings about but, but professional but, football but not the, professional but college just, just professional. in general yeah. college, and, college, college athletics boy you could you could talk yeah. about tell the truth the the idea that the, the that the journalist who i thought was played fine yep. by riley keow is like rooting for the team at the game while this is happening while she's already kind of put this story together in the yep. background I mean, it, it, it's just hitting all the right yeah. feels. And I just want to give a shout-out that that opening sequence is so great, and yet it also has, like, a split second to give a hilarious cutaway where they give you the flashback as to why Joe is up in the booth <laughs> and not down on the field where it shows that he was accidentally yes. tackled during practice because somebody went off the end. But you see this old man just <laughs> getting level. <laughs> it's great. 
that's balancing like several different like moods, and that's yeah. that sounds really impressive. I actually would really like to watch that now. It's a good, it's a re, it's a really good film. Yeah. yeah, and the rest of the film, the way it plays out, it it is it's more boiler uh, boiler plate, but mm. yeah, um, it's not. But bad. it also, um, I think, looking back on it, if you watched it ten years from now, you'd be like, wait a minute. So the students were upset not because they were harboring a child molester, but because they were firing the coach that enabled him? Yeah. No, it's, it, it's because the way that I understand the story and the way that no, I... that's literally what they were <laughs> upset about. Oh, I thought, I thought it was like, you know, it was like they're so like engrossed in like this... This college football well, he, like hype cycle after just like all they, these things that just come to light and it was like no nah, man it's like that couldn't be true like that couldn't no happen. no 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 they were like it doesn't matter that it is true he did not rape kids so therefore he did not do anything wrong oh. yeah mm. it, it, it's it was, it was despicable so mm. yep oh. even when his alpha, son alpha, alpha. is going out there telling him let's just think about the victim they start chanting chanting his name at him yeah almost at, like a fight like, club he's kind the of only one person who's actually trying to like adhere to some robert paulson but now also uh there were a lot of great quotes throughout uh film throughout the year but that may have been my favorite in the middle of paterno when <laughs> When uh, they're wanting to think about hiring a PR person to try to, like, get them through this as a family, the Paterno family. As a family. And the mother says, doesn't the university have someone who can help us with this? Uh, one of the other sons says, obviously they don't. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Uh, and then my last honorable mention is, I'm sorry this has gone on a little oh, bit longer no. than it should have, um, was... Right up my alley, and even though it probably could have been a better film, I still think it was fantastic and went under a lot of people's radar. And that was First Man. Ah, uh, yeah. I actually thought both the performances in that film were fantastic. Ryan Gosling and Claire Foy. Actually, I thought Claire Foy was better, uh, yeah. even though she wasn't given too much to do, which made sense for her character in the film. Um, but I am a huge nerd for anything NASA space program related. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this film really did go for a Damien Chazelle mainstream film, spent a lot of time on technical details, even if they're dumbed down. Um, I really appreciated that and enjoyed watching the entirety of the film. And the problem is the best part of that film is the horrifying sequence that happens way before he goes to the moon, uh, which actually they spend like 25 minutes on in the film. Damn. Uh, and it was, I thought, fantastic. Uh, but at the same time, I could see how that film rubbed people the wrong way. So, mm. yeah. so finally, talked about almost every other film I saw this year. But anyways, those were uh, my honorable mentions. Mm-hmm. But for my top six, I will also talk about Claire Foy, Claire Foy again, who is a wonderful actress. In? And she was incredible in the Steven Soderbergh film, Unsane. Oh. Yeah. Um, Boy, if you want to talk about a film that uh, just goes after cultural gaslighting, that is what (laughs) Unsane Mm -hmm. basically is in a nutshell. Um, And even though that film, I think, really is what it is because of Claire Foy's amazing performance, uh, the story is wonderful, but also Jay Farrow's character is also fascinating as he is revealed. And I mean, it's kind of early, so I don't think it's that big of a reveal 
Yeah, okay. Anyways, I'm not saying you can't say it, I, I, but I, I do think it's relegated I'll, to the last half. Okay, hour. then then I'll, I'll say this: he's he's not what he seems. However, that also gets double back on itself, and that is it is pretty interesting. Yeah, but in a in a era where mental illness is kind of a hot topic in films, which is good and also could be really bad it can be very manipulative dude um this is a film that i think is fantastic as it takes its time to not only go after the flaws in the system but also the people who abuse the flaws in the system Mm -hmm. so um i i absolutely love this film it was i i think better than most of the other Steven Soderbergh offerings he's had since The Informant. Um, and I will say I I enjoy pretty much every single film he has other than the uh, one he did with Rooney Mara that I didn't really care for. But at the same Side time... Side effects. Yeah. Uh, at the same time... That one gets better. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> they all get better. Sure. Um, I love this, and I really do more people do need to see it because it is a film that has a lot to say and also at the same time has wonderful performances specifically by Claire Foy. Mm. So I agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know you That's all I have to say. <laughs> I know you're a Soderbergh disciple for the most part, so uh, yeah. that delightful cameo. Yeah. Matt oh, Damon. by Matt Damon. Yeah. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Oh, Who man, wants the, that texture in their mouth? The way he slides his book <laughs> across the table is so great. Because to be honest, before that moment, he was trying to be like, or he was being professional. The way he was like just very coldly going down the list of what not to do, what to do. But he's like, here, this is a book I wrote. It will teach you everything you need to know. And it just, oh, man, that was a horribly laugh out loud moment in a yep. very uncomfortable situation. Yeah. So that was my number six. Moving on to Dusan, uh with number five. Okay, so my number five is "They Shall Not Grow Old" by oh. Peter Jackson. The uh, look at you. The documentary that he did uh, nice. for the centennial of the armistice. Uh, I actually was able to go see that in theaters the oh. one day that I was in because I went to go see it too. Yeah, my uh, my I did not. My friend Adam yeah. uh, invited me on a on a on a whim like two can, days can, before. I hate to interrupt. Did you stay for the part the, yes, for I the did. three minute documentary yes, afterwards? Yes, I did. Good for you. Yes, I did because it was um, it was extraordinary. I really really love that documentary because I just it, it it's more of a byproduct of just like navigating through the. Um, American compulsory uh, education systems that I just don't know a lot about um, World War One. Other than I understand, like what were the animating circumstances like? France, Fr- like Archduke uh, Franz Ferdinand being uh, assassinated by the Serbian terrorist group, the Black Hand, and because of the intercon- interconnected nature of all the alliances that were going on during the developing world at that time, like throughout um, the world. All these people just got like drawn into this dragnet sinkhole of a of a world conflict that would become the great war because they didn't have a they didn't know there was going to be another one afterwards. So it was just it was a great war instead of just World War One. Um, and seeing just these young men who like generation gen- generationally they were just like drawn into it, and the way that Peter Jackson took this footage and updated it and colorized it and 
went to such exhaustive extent to to provide Foley recordings to it. It's just such an absolute fucking labor of love. I've never seen anything that was quite like it. The fact that he had lip readers come in so they could have the dialogue. I know. Oof. It's so insane, like the level of, of detail that they... they and, and, and the people with the what they thought was the correct dialect yes. for those people yes in, oh dude yes and and like like the the part when the one person was reading off of the the list and they were just like combing through all the archives to find what was that one list that he was and, reading and, and they found it and approximating it and i'm just yeah. like fuck this is so crazy um how about how about and I, i'm sorry no no I'm, let's I'm, let's I'm, bounce I'm, off I'm, no i'm cutting you off I'm we so both sorry. love this no it's fine let's, yeah um what i i actually really liked yeah. the documentary after it yes about the making of it more that's essential in my opinion because the fact that it all looks the same how horrible of a shape a lot of that film I is know. in and the fact that they got it to look the way it did yes. is absolutely incredible right and especially with like the colorization of grass like that was that was really fascinating um it, uh, the, well they called paul greengrass for that one the uh the the sound effects too. Sound were, effects were great, and the fact that they a lot of like the canon sounds mm-hmm. actually that was kind of weird because yeah. it's really clear that Paul, um, not Paul Green, God, Peter <laughs> Peter Jackson, Peter Jackson is a World War One aficionado. Oh yeah, because he's, As he dedicated he, to to his uh, great grandfather. He did, but at the same time, they're like, "Well, where'd you find uh, the canon to shoot for that?" I owned one already. <laughs> it's just yeah. I mean, that's kind of like a Guillermo del Toro thing. Yeah, like, he's, yeah. He's, oh, I have this in my closet. Like Guillermo has like uh, like Guillermo has has Bleak House, and Peter Jackson has his fucking like Field of Tanks. Yeah. The other thing that's fascinating to me about that film, yeah. is that uh, the group came to him, said, "Here's all this footage, and here's all this audio. We don't care what you do with this. Just make a film about this." Right, and like. How 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 do you how do you start? How do you do that? And there and he talked about all the different stories you could have done. I'm just like, God damn, that's so incredible. Um, but yeah, this film is extraordinary. If you ever get the chance to see it in theaters, I definitely recommend it. And even still, like, watch it because it's just so. Oh my god! I like I I had such a in depth conversation with my friends afterwards because just like how defeated and how exhausted the, the, the young men were when the war was finally called off. And it's like, there was no great hip hip hurrah. It was just like, fuck, I've been through hell. I don't want to, I just want to go home and like coming back and like feeling like they, 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 they were, they weren't appreciated for what they did and how people just didn't want to talk about that anymore. I'm just like, same as it fucking ever was like, that is just like, like, Time is a fucking flat circle. This shit just keeps on happening. Yeah, so... Yeah, that was my number five. They Shall Not Grow Old. It was incredible. Good stuff. Yeah. My number five is a film from the filmmaker Andrew Bajolski, which is called Support the Girls. Oh! This was a film uh, that centered around a dining uh, establishment slash bar that is heavily reminiscent of a franchise like... Hooters, in which it is obviously there to serve subpar bar food that everyone raves about. But that's not why people go. But actually, is for the uh, very well picked uh, hiring staff Mm. uh, of girls parading around in Mm -hmm. whatever outfit and whatnot. But this movie is so uh, human in its. character strokes uh it centers around regina hall who is clearly the kind of uh 
de facto manager, even though there's actually a kind of head manager above her who doesn't show up to the actual location. Is, is that manager a man? The yes, of course, mm-hmm. and um, but she's the one who's actually running things sure, on the course. floor and what, yep. yeah, mm-hmm. and so it's just so gorgeous because she, the movie doesn't shy away from like what this kind of culture would be like because in a lot of ways it's enabling some of the worst habits in just uh, customer to uh, service employee uh, relations because. Yes, you are selling that kind of leering and kind of flirting because they do kind of say like, yeah, if you you are here to kind of do that. And yet she is the mother hen to all of these girls who uh, work for the establishment because she will not let any of them be mistreated or feel uncomfortable in anything that, uh, you know, happens to occur uh, mm-hmm. yeah, in the restaurant. And it's got a great ensemble cast uh Below her, it's got Haley Lou Richardson um, from, you know, like, The Edge of Seventeen. and Split. Uh, Split. Yep. And um, the girl from uh, uh, The First Girl I Loved, uh, the, the main girl from that. Oh, uh, really? Yes. Oh. Uh, she plays the new girl who's hired that day. And she really? plays very heavily in the kind of climax. And it's... Um, it's very hard to say that this film has a climax because it is very much uh, what a lot of people would call mumblecore, and in my opinion, fuck that <laughs> uh, classification. Cause is it meant just, to be it's, pejorative? It's just, is it meant to be like... It is, oh. when people say it. <laughs> so it might, like, it's just drama, just because you may not like shaky cam and, you know... Um, I like probably, shoegaze. Like, yeah. that's... An improvised line reading, you know, like right. that kind of yeah. thing. It's a texture, and if you don't like it, that's fine. But mm-hmm. it, I feel like mumblecore makes it sound like there's no actual line. So it's like, no, it's a, it's a choice. It's not a, you know, yeah. So it's a texture, and some people like that texture in their mouth. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this movie is uh, it's fantastic. It shows the camaraderie of all these women who are working together, who are both suffering from the same kind of uh, day-to-day work things, but also are from completely different walks of life outside the restaurant. So it's such an eclectic uh, band of characters, and you grow to care about every single one of them. And the whole movie takes place, of course, all in one day. It's from the opening of the restaurant to the closing that night. And a lot happens in this day. Uh, Some quiet moments that obviously mean nothing in the grand scheme of things. Some not-so-quiet moments that change some of their lives forever. But that's not to say that this is a big movie in any way, but it shows that real life, the big moments are never as showy as, you know, they are in the movies. Do all their lives crash? No. Uh, But that the littlest action can be kind of taken... uh, as something else. And um, it's fantastic. Regina Hall gives easily one of the best performances of the year. She has so many things she has to do in this movie uh, as an actress. From She was nominated for an uh, Oscar for If Beale Street Could Talk? Or is that a different actor? That's a different actor. So no, 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 it's okay. Um, Regina Hall. Wait, is it Regina Hall? I know it's, yes, this is Regina Hall. Um, you're thinking of somebody else, though, and I forget her name. Uh, sadly. Sorry, no, sorry no, no, about no. that. I Got them mixed up. Now it's... Regina King is yes, who I'm thinking yes. of. Yep. Yeah. Um, Regina Hall, that's why it's kind of so surprising. She was best known for being Brenda in the scary movies. Like, okay. You wow. know, like, yeah, just like from a flashback as to, you know, what she started out as to this where she's giving one of the most 
gorgeously realized and down-to-earth performances of anything I've ever seen. So she deserves total props for her role in this. And I think anybody, because considering it's a short movie and whatever, um, I feel like there's something for everybody here. And one thing I love that it nails is that obviously I don't work at a bar or in the food service industry, but I do work at a public desk, which means I do start to uh, have a rapport with uh, patrons that come Mm -hmm. into the library and whatnot. And this totally... um, gets at the feeling of having returning customers and the back and forth nature of that, which is that like one day I could be very annoyed at the same person who comes in mm-hmm. and the next day I'm glad that they're here because they're tethering me to some sort of normalcy routine mm-hmm. that makes me feel comfortable. Right. It just depends on what day they catch me on. Right. <laughs> and this obviously has that with a few characters who frequent this establishment regularly. And yeah. So it's a, it's a fantastic movie and a lot more people should actually see it. Very good. That was my number five. Support the girls. Nice. Support them. Support them. Thank you for being very clear on that. Like, share, and subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) My number five for 2018 is Avengers Infinity War. Hmm. I love superhero films, so Hmm. this is not that big of a surprise that this cracked into my top six. Um, That being said, the storyline throughout this film actually is not the best part of the film. Spe- More like Infinity Bore. Uh, I actually don't think that. I just really wanted to make that pun. Okay, great. Um, specifically the ending, which is, uh, you know, people talk about, and there are a lot of people who are apparently emotional over it, and yet I have always viewed it as being silly. They it needed is. counseling at Comic-Con. <sighs> Yeah, that's that's gonna be one of the worst. You know, let's talk about that on the end game episode. Oh, we will. Yeah, let's talk about that. We're gonna check in on them to see if they're okay. Yeah, (laughs) performative, performative faux grief. I like that. That's great. So, getting away from all that silliness, two things that made this film absolutely stand out to me were the fact that they were able to have all of these characters in the same film, and it never, to me, felt overstuffed. To the point where I was annoyed because even though there are a lot of characters and they are certainly sharing the screen and um, having to be on the same screen as other big characters from other bigger properties or similar sized properties, um, it all just kind of flowed well together, which I was super happy about because that was the thing I was probably most concerned about about this film. And the second thing, which is much more important to me, is that the action here is pretty much second to none as the pacing and also the look of it was such a huge improvement over the sort of high-speed action that we've seen in previous films like Civil War um, and Winter Soldier and uh, The Last Thor to a lesser extent. Like, the idea of getting away from this sort of cartoonish somewhat unwatchable action was really awesome that they finally made it feel real to me and Mm. i absolutely loved infinity war i thought it was a really good year for marvel i mean this and uh black panther obviously and then ant-man the wasp were all for the most part solid Yeah. yeah so i was a big fan and i um am obviously looking forward to endgame but at the same time I thought Infinity War actually delivered on its promise, and I am super happy they did. Cause I what about much... Captain Marvel or Spider-Man Far From Home? Let me just say one thing. Oh, boy. Our Captain Marvel episode is going to be 
fucking weird. Because you know way more about that now than I do. I have read <laughs> the original <laughs> Miss Marvel run, two of the Kelly Sudaconic uh, runs. Uh, I've read the random Captain Marvel, who was Captain Marvel, the female before Carol Danvers, which was uh, Monica Rambeau. Uh, I've read the actual Captain Marvel's first few issues, including the issue in which the origin story for Carol was born out of, and a lot of stuff, uh, including the Kree scroll. War from the Avengers run. This is fascinating. Just because it's like to see what plays out it, in this. It's it's movie. it's like it's like none list, of it. Will. It's it, it's like listen. no. Actually, I, that's kind of what I've been. It, like, I've been going on IMDb, right, right, seeing who's playing who. Okay, looking up their runs. Going, it's okay, like listening to myself to trying to like talk to somebody about a thing that I'm really passionate about and they don't know shit about it, and I'm like. Wow, this is what it's like on the other end of that conversation, but I'm still really interested. It's going to get fucking weird. It's going to get weird, yeah. That's probably one of the films I'm most looking forward to. Ooh, we, it's going to get weird. I will admit, uh, part of just we'll wrap this up, obviously, but <laughs> I only kind of went with this because I actually really uh, started to enjoy the Miss Marvel character. Like, yeah. I wouldn't have continued if I was like, oh, well, this is fucking stupid. So. Yeah. And the fact that um, Brie Larson is uh, was picked up, and this is really her first, like, really major role since Room. I mean, her it's, biggest role, for sure. Yeah. 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 She was in that movie with Woody Harrelson called The Glass House. Which... Yeah. yeah. Anyways, uh, Infinity War was my number five. Mm-mm. Moving on to Toussaint and number four. Okay, so my number four is going to be the only superhero film that is included on my list for this year. And it is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Wow. My number four, my number four is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, even though I, uh, just to be totally transparent, I gave uh, They Shall Not Grow Old uh, a five out of five, which you, if you know me, you know how rare that yeah. is, um, how, how, how significant that is. And I gave, you know, um, I think I gave Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse like a comparative, like four maybe like a three and a half maybe four somewhere around that is like i just have to put it over that one simply because i i've already expressed my fatigue with superhero films as of late like in 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 previous episodes and so i am more cautious to really like heap praise or hyperbole onto those films i liked black panther I, I can't remember like what my comments were on for the episode that we did for it, but I know that it is not on my on my list. If it were not for for Spider Man and the Spider Verse, I'm not even sure if it would have broken into that that one spot there. But so when I say with as much caution as possible that I believe that Spider Man into the Spider Verse is probably not only one of the best animated films of the year, it is probably also one of, if not the best Spider-Man films I've ever seen. Like I am, I, I'm, I'm being really fucking serious because they, they, there's, I've never seen something that looks quite like this as a, as an animated film. It does things with its cinematography and with its, with its, uh, with its animation and even with its music in such a way that I feel like it totally leans into the comic affordances of the source material while translating it organically into into cinema. It really does just like 
lean heavily into this maximalist pop art, like hallucinogenic aesthetic, and it never feels grating and it never, never hurts so much on the eyes. And even like, like towards the end, like it, it almost like devolves and explodes into this like Acura-esque maximalism where I'm just like, holy fucking shit. Like, where are you going after this? Because like, it's, 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 they really did throw everything, um, everything at the board and yeah, I, I, I love that film. So Spider-Man, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. That's my endorsement. Um, number four. Nice. So, I endorse it as well. Yeah. My number four is a film we've talked about called Unsane. Ah, Steven Unsane ah. in the membrane. Unsane, got no brain. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Steven Soderbergh. Should be no surprise here. Everybody really should be. Yeah. And this is easily one of his best films in quite some time, which is crazy because... <laughs> crazy! Uh, because it was born out of one of his most seemingly uh, carefree gimmicks, which is, I'm going to shoot a crazy kind of Hitchcock thriller on an iPhone. And that's what this is. It's not like he was misleading. Like, well, really, we shot that one scene, and then we got an actual rig up or whatever. Like, no, no. This is his brain as a filmmaker distilled into these gorgeous high-angle shots, uh, desk-level shots, and so on and so forth. And the weird texture of the digital uh, resolution here is just so wonderful and it kind of makes you doubt what you're seeing and yet also looks like it's security footage which fits right at home in yeah. a... The, the the overlay scene between her and the, and the guy is fucked up. Yeah, and <laughs> that's the only kind of thing that can only happen when you experiment with this kind of thing and that's, yeah. that's just... That's the kind of fun that I like to see Stevie having with the medium. Stevie. And um, and yet, putting that all aside, it's a fantastic lead performance that's anchoring the entire thing. It's a amazing script. Uh, and I don't mean amazing in the sense that like it should be studied, but just that it doesn't settle for less. Like, this script... <laughs> clips at a breakneck pace and yet has a lot to say about a lot of things. Maybe sometimes too many things, but I don't really care because it goes by so breezily that I don't have to stew in what is half-hearted and what isn't. Uh, it just totally packs a punch as a film. And it is uh, it's such a wonderfully timed film, and it's crazy how it becomes both a horror story of anybody who suffers with mental illness's worst nightmare, which is that A, you're not believed, or B, that your fate is worse than what you thought if you just reach out for help. And, and like, that's terrifying. And also, too, um, the fact that, that even though she is put there against her own consent, um, the fact that she starts to almost, as soon as she's put in there, completely look <laughs> down upon the other people who are there. Absolutely. As yeah. saying that. No, they're actually crazy people. I'm just here against my will, and it's just like, yeah. damn. Yes, yeah, <laughs> no, and it's and it's terrifying, and uh, it's it's fantastic. There's literally nothing I probably haven't already said on our episode yeah. that we did on it. So mm. listen to that because we did one, um, and also obviously Alex was a big fan. So that's two people already. I think that's the first film on uh, at least more than one list so far. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's 
a th- pretty good sign for Unsane. Absolutely, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's it's a very well made film, and I, I think interesting for Soderbergh because I feel like, and I said this on our episode, I like the other brand of films he makes more that are in line with something like the Ocean's film or the Informant or even uh, the film he came, he came out with last year. Well, I was going to say, by the way, I was going to bring that up and say, besides Logan Lucky, yeah. this is my favorite film of his since The Informant, but I actually slightly prefer Logan Lucky. But but that's just me. <laughs> these kind of films, uh, is or I did mention side effects, are, are not like the kind of films I like of his, but this one just totally won me over. It was yep. fantastic. Absolutely. And that, that scene uh, in the padded room yes um where she basically leads someone else to slaughter in my opinion oh yeah definitely uh that is fucked up yeah yeah <laughs> powerfully so oh yeah Thank you. so that's my number four excellent same my number four um is a film that i actually think could have easily been my number one and that's how <laughs> close my one through four is yeah not that it's Super close, but it's right there. Uh, my number four is Black Klansman by ah. Spike Lee. Uh, I was a huge fan of this. Okay. Um, I don't, I don't know if I like it more than Do the Right Thing, which is my favorite Spike Lee film. Yeah, um, and I also love the Twenty Fifth Hour. Twenty Fifth Hour is probably my favorite. And yeah. Inside Man. Yeah. Um, you know, he's got a lot of films that are are up there for me, um, but this was. I would say a little outside of Spike Lee's comfort zone, I oh, would yeah. say, as this is a film that is definitely tackling um, racism and is also at the same time going after the police in a way, but also, too, it's trying to find a common ground between people who are racist and people who are trying to be better and bridging that gap in a way. Um, as this film turns into a weird buddy cop film between uh, John David Washington and uh, – did I say his name wrong? Oh, no. Fuck. That That's his name? Yeah. I, I thought I said it the wrong middle name. Nah. Uh, and Adam Driver at – I feel bad because he's a white person, but I thought Adam Driver actually gave the best performance in this film. Nah. Okay. I think I think he gave yeah. a, a pretty good performance in his in his in his own right. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. Yeah, I and uh, the idea of them being having to be one in the same because of this this put on that this caricature that was created, mm-hmm. um, which is still the same person that is um, is 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 fascinating. Um, and and that's what's great about this is that just like with Overlord. This is a film that definitely is going for historical fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a film that is take, taking off of things that Quentin Tarantino has done many times. And it is pretty much the last uh, 20 minutes or so of this are completely fictional. But mm-hmm. it's basically saying, eh, fuck the racists. Yeah, it's 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 very... Let's have, let's it, have it, them it, blow up in a car accident and I'll... Tell yeah, the the, the, the car ex- the car explosion definitely feels like a contrivance. Like whether it actually happened or not, like the way that it was actually placed in the film feels as though these events are being conformed into the shape of a three act film. Like this is not how the story actually happened, but like it it make it's 
it makes for a serviceable film. I, I, well, I think no one uh, wants to sit down and watch a movie where that where it plays out the way it does, and then that doesn't happen in the third act. And I right, don't say exactly. that because people don't want to watch serious movies. We right. do. But if we wanted to watch the real story, probably would have just researched it or exactly. read the book right. written right. by um, the Ron Stallworth, yeah. you know, yep. and, which is, I think, also valid. Like, Yeah, um, but one of my favorite moments of the year is also another thing that was completely fabricated for this film, which is uh, when Ron Stallworth... Uh, Ends his final conversation with David Duke, kind of reading back all of the racist shit that he called mm. black people yeah. over time, mm. um, which is like the one of the biggest fuck you moments ever, which was just fucking awesome. Yeah. And again, totally not. How real. does it feel to have said all that stuff to a black man? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also to from start to finish, and especially I, I thought this on the rewatch. This film is captivating to me from the opening scene until the closing aspect, which is showing the Charlottesville stuff yeah. added together. Even though that is probably one of the weaker parts of the film, I've kind of come to terms with it, kind of having a place in this, especially if you're watching this down the road. Uh, that being said, uh, the, the, the scene o- that opens this film, basically, I mean, there's other things that are before it. But the scene where he's sent to the rally to – he got a promotion to be undercover, but then he's sent to be undercover to make sure black people aren't saying anything that bad uh-huh. um, is fucked up. And yeah. he complies with it. He yeah, does. That's not saying up. that he's okay with it. That's – no, I mean, are, are you talking about at the beginning where he has to like infiltrate? He goes to Stokely Carmichael. Yeah, like yeah. that, that I think – Chewing back to something we talked about earlier with like sorry to bother you, I feel like that is the main like sort of like point of of contention that like Boots Riley is like honing in on. It's like that's 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 the wound right there. That that's that's what it is. I think it's that, but also reading Boots Riley's thing because I actually do want to bring that up one last time. Yeah, uh, is that he also takes some bridge with the fact that the cops in this movie, some of them are portrayed very favorably. And I don't think mm-hmm. that that's entirely true. And what I like about Black Klansman, which was actually should have been one of my honorable mentions because that was pretty much right up there, yeah. is that for me, this whole movie comes down to the one scene in which uh, Ron Stallworth is talking to the Adam Driver character. And it's such a simple line, but when he says, why are you acting like you don't have skin in the game? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what this movie is kind of trying to preach, which is telling white people that as much as we would love to think that, you know, just a cry for peace would be enough, it's, no. it's never going to be. No. But removing that, why are we still thinking that we are somehow untouchable if we allow these kind of uh, systems to be put into place White- and become normal? Whiteness is is is, a, is an inclusive invention, and it, it only it only inc- it only continues to be inclusive when there isn't a a an outside minority to sort yeah. of like aim that animus towards, and right. when that minority is not there anymore, then then that 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 sort of inclusive uh, uh, descriptor of whiteness becomes more striated and becomes more. There will be a hierarchy, hi- hierarch- hierarchical yes. as 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 it goes on. It's like yeah. oh, it's like then then we're going to move backwards in time when 
hopefully hope to God it never happens like that. But then you'd move backwards in time to when like the Irish were vilified and nobody wants that shit anymore, man. And that's why I loved drivers. Uh, then kind of moment in that movie where he says, I fuck. He's like, I've never had to think about this until now. And now it's all I could think about. And it's just that kind of an eye opening moment because that's kind of what it's going to take as that's, a nation. That, that's kind of white never, pri- that's kind of white privilege, yeah, like in a, in, a, gonna, in a nutshell. It's not going to be easy, and it may never happen. Right. But that is the kind of awakening that needs to happen on a collective level, not right. a majority or not a, a totality level, because yeah. no one's. There's no one's always going to be people that are never going to see that. Right. Right. <laughs> but if more people would realize that we are sadly we do not suffer the same things but we're all in the same goddamn boat mm-hmm. and if there are less people in this boat then all that shit's gonna roll onto you as well right exactly so, yeah, yeah. Anyway. and the fact that it that it does basically early on in his attempting to get into the Ku Klux Klan when as he calls it trying to give the me interrogation a Jew detector test um <laughs> is is yeah Let's get a look at that dick. Yeah. Um, boy, that is really something. Yeah. Um, the over-the-top nature, too, of the racist, I think actually is perfectly put in here because, boy, I don't know if that's necessarily lying. No, and to be fair, there's actually a nice, in my opinion, variety of racists yeah. here. The guy who plays the kind of mem- the head of the chapter yeah, the is actually... on that a... new television show, right? He's what on... show? It's not manifest. He's on. He's a doctor on some. He's show. on the. He's the. He. He was one of the guys on blacklist, and they had like oh, a blacklist okay. uh, like spinoff. A- any, anyway. I thought he was fantastic because he looks like the guy who would totally blend in on a Sunday church, you know, mass. Like no, he seems be- like he. No, if, if you were actually thinking about who the yes. head of, and this is fucked up to think about this, but if you actually think about people who should be head of the Ku Klux Klan, it should be somebody like that. Yes, mm-hmm. who could attempt to. Not make it seem like right. they're just crazy cross burning fucks who are yes. out trying to talk about how much. But they actually, have this sort of like this, this, uh, this almost chameleon sociopathic nature no, the, about the, them. The to, more to, horrifying to, to, to be able to to be able to blend into like otherwise polite conversation it's, and actually it's, assimilate it's people. It's really easy to spot the crazy racist who right. just wants to kill black people. Right, right. It's harder to spot people like David Duke who are trying to be senators wearing suits and ties. And right, like, yeah. Who will refuse to say certain things. Like yeah. <clears throat> literally change their entire rhetoric to hide their beliefs because apparently <laughs> – they know that it's wrong, and yet they also fully believe in it enough they, to fight for they it. They know that it's wrong, but they think that they will reach more people if they yes. look more professional. Yeah, they yeah. use dog whistles. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, also, too, uh, that performance by Eric Fortman was just absolutely <laughs> fantastic, mostly because he seems like he's kind of playing himself, which is really scary. He was really fucking depressed. Yeah, like Topher had, Grace. Yeah, no, to, Topher Grace ended up editing all of the say, all, all like the fucking no, no, Hobbit not, films he's not, together. He's not playing himself, but I feel like watching that. That's almost like Eric Foreman playing that character. Like it's yeah. Like, it's oh, not, like it's he's not, not stretching. No, to become no. Something. no, it, it, oh, no, it, no, see, no. it seems yeah. like it's it's Topher Grace. He's not doing an impression. No, he's just being a David Duke. Yes, which is which is which is which is creepy because now you've got. All these racist hate rhetoric being read by a guy who I'm like, oh no, oh no. So yeah, yeah, but that's a very, very well put together film. Um, Spike Lee did a really nice job with it, and also to Jordan Peele, who who kind of goes under the radar, but he was heavily involved in this film. Yeah, um, as a producer, kind of behind the scenes. 
um, this is a this is a really really solid film and a film that I think people should see and a cause that obviously more people should be interested in. Yeah. Um, you know because it's and uh, the last thing I'll say is that the scene that is ham-fisted and obviously a little over the top, but the scene where you have the dueling black power, white power being shouted in different rooms mm-hmm. um, is very interesting because of the stark nature of it is that there's these people who are trying to get out of this disgusting, despicable cellar that they've been driven into as, as sort of a less than regular citizen and then you have the other opposite, which is hateful people who have no care in the world about other people yeah. and just want their group to be number one. And they're watching America's first blockbuster, which is uh, The Birth of a Nation, which is the story of the founding of the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah. yeah. And the, the cheering that happened. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an effective film and uh, one that I think um, I'll be watching for many years to come. Yep. Um, so number three, yes, sir. Okay. So number three is for me, uh, Barry Jenkins, uh, if Beale street could talk, I actually watched this just, uh, this past weekend. Um, yeah, I really enjoy this film. It's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, James Baldwin is sort of going through a moment in vogue right now where his writing and his, his his talks his I talk mean, his talks so his talks his appearances his image is sort of like becoming sort of like a centerpiece not just as a black writer who is like <clears throat> profoundly articulate but also as a gay black writer who was already sort of like marginalized within a marginalized like community um and a lot of the things that he talked about like back in the 60s and the 70s like that's stuff that has never been reconciled with and has never been really born with and it's like just to be able to like look to that person and and see that writing and and see how much it it um it 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 reverberates, it, it reverberates or... and resonates like just to step aside for just one moment like during the 2016 summer like when all those police shootings were going on and stuff like I remember like going to the park and just reading the fire next time like in one sitting and it was a really powerful experience um for this film, however, uh, this is based on a novel that he wrote, like I think in the mid-1970s, I think, towards like the end of his life. Um, it was beautiful. I love this film. I think that it is one of the most – it is one of the best shot films of the year. I think that is one of the best acted films of the year. Um, the guy who was in Widows and in Atlanta – what's his name? Uh Brian Ty- Tyree Henry. Brian Tyree Henry. He was exquisite in this film. Um, I thought he did a really great job. And I think that if there's one criticism I do have of this film, it's that I feel like it, it for me, my same criticism of Alex Garland in Annihilation is the same thing that I feel towards Barry Jenkins towards adapting this material. I think that this is, this is a good adaptation. I think that... I am more interested in watching original material from this director. Um, I'm not saying that he could maybe write anything close to the level of James Baldwin, but I'm saying that I really, as I, as much as I love this film, I loved Moonlight and I want to see more original material from him and his voice. Um, 
And if he had to go through making this film in order to move on, in order to like sort of pay nod to his 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 forebears and his influences, then I'm happy with that because it was a great film. But I'm looking forward to where he goes next. Right on. Yeah, Just beautiful that, score too. That mm. was my biggest uh, miss of the year. Mm. It only came to our theaters like two weeks ago, and right. I just did not get a chance to watch it. Yeah. Uh, my number three is a film that went to Netflix. Oh boy! Oh, the day is here. Oh, the day is here. <laughs> oh, I can't believe it, but it is the Coen Brothers' "The Ballad of Buster Scruggs." Mm, I haven't uh, seen that yet. Oh, it's well. Let me tell you about. Well, it. let me sit you down there, partner. <laughs> this is an anthology western uh, vignette of four short stories from the Coen Brothers, and all four of them are just Coen-esque to a T, and yet all kind of have a different shade of them. There's one that's from, I would say, they're kind of raising Arizona era, where it's slapstick comedy, hmm. and it's lunic. Uh, literally, people have called it um, Chuck Jones-esque. You know, it's very Looney Tunes, and the violence is gleeful, and yet it somehow is... Uh, bookended by musical numbers that are delightfully glib and silly. <laughs> kind of reminds me of uh, what they did with uh, the character from Hail Caesar uh, in his moments where you see the movie that he's working on. Oh, okay. Um, I forget who played Han Solo, but... Oh, uh, Alden... Yes, um... Earn Wright. Yeah. Uh, yes. His, what they were parodying there, They at least the first short story is like a little mini version of that, and it's okay. delightful. Um, which 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 one of them has the, uh, the dual trains with them doing the splits? Because that's the only shot that I've seen that I've been like, holy shit. The dual train... Yeah, there, there's... The... A, unless it's a, from a different movie that I'm... Trying to think... It's from the Battle of Buster Scruggs. So wait, isn't it? what do you mean the the train? There's, there's there's two trains going in the same direction. There's a guy sitting on it with doing the splits, basically being held by both. Is that a different talking movie? Talking about Paddington Two. That's that's from Paddington Two, where Hugh Bonneville, because he's been taking yoga, is able to relax and split his really that's from that okay I think it is no no do you leave that in there no you leave that in there. <laughs> Yeah, it's a 2018 movie. Fuck. <laughs> that is eligible. <laughs> it is, yes, but, but that I, is Paddington 2. It is. Uh, <laughs> He's so right, it's, right it's now. It's the whole thing, because remember uh, Hugh Grant's character is being chased through yeah. the trains? and I, I, I honestly forgot about that and yes. thought that was from the Battle of Mr. Scruggs. No. So I was wrong. That's amazing, though. That's oh, prestige yes. filmmaking right I'm there. Gonna, I'm going to have to wear it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, the four Fuck. stories though are fan fucking tastic. Um, Hugh Bonneville is in neither the in, in none of them. <laughs> um, but uh, let's just see here. I'm going to go down the line and say the first story is fantastic. That was the one I was talking about being kind of slapsticky and whatnot. The second story is the weakest one. It's the one that stars James Franco, who's also like good in it. But it's clearly it's the one that's most. Uh, Spring break. Uh, yeah. It's the one that's most centered around just trying to set up a funny punchline. I mean, it, you know, it's just one of those, and it's good, though. Um, it's the third. Oh, no, there's five stories. I always forget about that. Uh, the third and the fourth and the fifth are the more serious. Oh, wait. There's six stories. <laughs> I don't feel as bad now, at least. Well, still, still pretty bad, but not as bad. 
I just kind of forget how much goodness is in this film because they are like they do not try to connect them in any meaningful way, um, which I feel like is refreshing because it's almost unheard. Even the Black Mirror has its own universe, and it's mm. it's fucking stupid. Anyway, um, but all these stories range from incredibly sad, which is the Liam Neeson story, which is easily maybe the most depressing thing the Coen Brothers has ever made. Huh. It is just twenty five to thirty minutes of pure misery capped by an ending that throws misery off a cliff. Wow. <laughs> it is just hilariously uh, 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 misery-laden. Uh, then um, I would say the Tom Waits story is uh, a, a, a almost wordless story in which Tom Waits plays a, a you know desperate prospector just looking for gold. And you would think that that would be rote and just kind of you know nothing, but Tom Waits gives it his all, and it's got a very fun uh, arc to it. Um, and the final two stories are, I think, kind of the standout in just like giving you something to chew on, and actually could have been maybe fleshed out to a whole feature just because they're so rich. Right. But I'm kind of glad that they weren't. Um, which is the fifth story centers around a woman who is kind of traveling with a, a wagon, um, whatever you call it, uh, caravan. Caravan. I was thinking other random CA words, Uh, a wagon caravan just trying to get where she's going. But slowly but surely, her journey, it just gets harder and harder, not to the typical Western thing, like Mm -hmm. sickness or whatever, but because she almost subtly keeps losing pieces of herself, whether it's one of her passengers that's with her or uh, a dog that um, she was not overly fond of, but also felt uh, comfort in its barking that kept her up and little things like that that get slowly chiseled away to the point of the ending of that story which I won't even spoil but ends with her uh, kind of making a choice as to whether to continue or not in a very uncomfortable uh, context and but the final story is a bit on the surreal side and it's uh, just fantastic where it takes a very is this the titular Buster Scruggs no, Buster isn't the first one. Okay. It's just Tim Blake Nelson going around shooting people and singing ditties. Like that's <laughs> literally that that's actually the whole point of that story and it's fantastic. Um no, the the final story is just uh uh four or five people or whatever in a uh in a stagecoach for the whole thing. And I figured it out very early on, but this isn't a spoiler because it's not that kind of movie, but right. um, they're basically in clearly what's a purgatory-like place, and that stagecoach is like the river, you know... Sticks. Yes, where they are being t- taken to their ultimate destination. Okay. None of them remember how they got there. And, uh, uh, and it's just gorgeously realized. There's a lot of fun people in that stagecoach, like Brendan Gleeson and mm-hmm. whatnot. Um, but all these stories taken together just fucking flew by. I mean, it's like a two-hour film, but it be, uh, no story overstays its welcome, and each story has its own single purpose. That you know, if you like, I could watch this if it came out on Blu-ray, and I would kind of hope. I mean, it's what chapter selection is for. But I could also see a a mode where you just like click play, and then it would say which story you want to watch because that's just how good these individual stories are. So, mm-hmm. uh, I but think, wouldn't it be cooler if you could actually interact with them? <gasps> Bender snatch. 
Ugh, Cohen Snatch. The Ballad of Bandersnatch. Ooh, Cohen Snatch. Um, so yeah, that's The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and it's just an adorable film. I really think that there's something for everybody in here if you've liked at least one Cohen film. Mm. You know, I mean, obviously the Coens aren't for everybody, but there are different versions of the Cohen that at least most people respond to one of them, and they're all here. So The yeah. Ballad of Buster Scruggs, number three. Good stuff. So to um, take off of something that Toussaint did a little bit earlier, I actually have a film that is ranked higher than my top two. Uh, Not ranked, but I rate higher than my top two. Mm. Uh, So I actually give the film that I'm as number three on my list a five-star rating. Okay, It's the only film I gave five stars to in 2018. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's number three on my list. But it's not your favorite. Yeah. It's not my favorite, though. Uh, and I kind of had an internal turmoil with that, but I decided just to rip it off like a Band-Aid. Right, and go yeah. With this. yeah. It's my list, so I can do whatever the fuck I want. Right. Uh, so, it's perfect for the film that it is, but it's not the consummate sort of like standard that you would... Sure. Yeah. The yeah. other two did more that I enjoyed more. So right. Yeah. They were number one and number two. Exactly. But number three is Alfonso Caron's Roma. Okay. Which was, I thought, a masterpiece. And even though it's not my favorite kind of content, uh, the thing that makes this film such a win for me is this is not my kind of movie in the slightest. This is very much a mundane slice of life, start to finish year in the life of um, a family in Mexico in the 1960s. And it is just... From start to finish, absolutely wonderful. Uh, Incredible cinematography, wonderful lighting that I think could have been a little bit better, but still very good. Um, The way the streets look throughout feels like it actually is authentic, even though that's been something that people have kind of given Karan shit for, which I feel like is a little weird because he made this. Is that really the point? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But at the same time, um, the storyline here is fascinating to me. Uh, The way the characters move from start to finish is wonderful. Um, And then you bring all of that in with the, the, the fact that this falls into the space that we are in as Americans. And whether or not we agree with it, which most people and all the people in this room do not with the... What's happening with Speak our... for yourself. Sure thing. Tucson has strong opinions. <laughs> oh, God. They need to be valued. Um, I'm, I was going to say something, but I don't even want that clip out in the universe. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, trying to bait you. Yep. <laughs> um, but every everything about this, just in the fact that you have a completely alternate culture from the one that I've ever lived in, mm-hmm. and yet the loving and also excruciating parts of everyday life within a small family section of that culture is completely fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that start to finish the looks on people's faces, um, the decisions the characters make and just little details throughout, I thought were just placed so perfectly by Karang, who is not necessarily a director who I've always thought of as being someone who nails the little details. Mm -hmm. Um, but here I thought he honed his craft pretty much perfectly. Um, and also, too, this film has some uncomfortable moments towards the end of it. And 
one last thing I will say about Roma is, is I think the film speak for itself, and it's on Netflix. So I think everybody should see it. Both and of our number threes are on Netflix. Netflix yep. productions. And <laughs> oh god, welcome to the future. Yeah, sadly, I will say um, this was a very interesting experience for me. Roma was because I don't know if I ever have, and I, I don't know what the future will bring, but being able to watch this by myself for the first time mm-hmm. and then to see it for the second time in a theater in its first run with a lot of people who clearly had not seen it before mm-hmm. was a very unusual experience yeah. for me. Yeah. yeah, it never usually happens in that kind of order. No. Um, and I think the That's thing... That's going to become the new... That might become I the new... I don't know if it will because I don't know... Like, first of all, getting to see Roma in the theater is kind of a lucky specialty type thing because right. it's right. not... It's not actually going to theaters. No. It's only going to engagements, which right. is... In this case, we got to see it on 70 millimeter mm-hmm. at the Music Box Theater. Which was yeah. wonderful. Yep. We also saw... Um, Shoplifters, which I mentioned earlier. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but... This film, Alfonso Cuaron has done a wonderful job with this and created this very interesting look at a family and a culture in this specific time period. And um, it's something that people should watch and, and I think embrace uh, the idea of what this film is trying to say. Yeah. So Roma was my number three. Mm-hmm. So, boys, um, we have both... Everybody has mentioned a Netflix film. Well, guess what? Uh, I'm mentioning yeah. a fucking Netflix film on my list. Oh, boy. Welcome to the fucking future. Um, <laughs> my number two is... I, I know, yeah. My favorite... I wish I could have seen this film in theaters. I actually did come to the music box, but I was like already working on something, so I couldn't like make the drive out. Um, my second favorite film of the year was Sandy Tan's uh, Shirkers. Oh, yes. Yeah, Shirkers uh, is incredible, and I think it's better if I just read off the synopsis because it, it's better than anything I could have like <laughs> just re- uh, related just to you. Is like, yeah. in 1992, teenager Sandy Tan shoots Singapore's first road movie with her enigmatic American mentor, George, who then absconded with all the footage. The 16mm film is recovered 20 years later, sending Tan, who is now a novelist living in Los Angeles, on a personal odyssey in search of George's footprints. It is one of the most visually audacious, most psychedelically edited, like crazy, like documentary, like quasi quasi fiction, quasi true story like documentaries I've ever seen. I absolutely fucking love this film. Like I watched the trailer and I was like, oh my God, I need to I need to watch more of this. Um and it's also just a very beautiful ode to the malleability of of time and memory. Like I'm always gonna remember my I'm always gonna remember this one excerpt from my time in undergrad where I was like learning about film and editing and how editing is the a lapture it, it, it is the the conflation of time and space where you can just like totally change the topography of a scene 
and and how people are actually able to navigate through that scene just by how you edit it. You can make a place larger. You can make a place smaller. You can make it taller. You can make it wider. You can make it deeper. It's like, and that's what I felt like this this film was. It was just a labyrinth of of mirrors and just like emotions and just like trying to not only see who George was, but who, but, but Sandy, like looking at who she was back then. And just, it's, it's also just a, 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 a fascinating little, little documentary of a film that I don't want to spoil anything, but given the nature of how that, that footage was recovered, it could never have been made. Be, it could never be made into the film that it was originally supposed to be. So now Shirkers is a documentary of a film that does not exist with the footage that would have been used to create said film. And it is still an extraordinary film in and of itself just because it is this – it's it's one peak at an alt-history artifact that I feel like had that film actually existed – it might be one of my favorite fucking films of all time, which is just extraordinary. Um, so I absolutely emphatically like endorse going to see Shirkers. It's incredible. I love it. I actually had no idea that it was on Netflix because I had been hear- hearing a lot about it, so I did not realize that. Mm-hmm. So now yeah. I got to watch it. Now you got to watch it. You would definitely love this. I was going to say, it everything would, the, I've read about it. Yeah, it is definitely up your alley. Sounds yeah. not up my alley. That's okay. It's very pretty to look at, It though. sounds like a very, <laughs> like you said, psychedelic version of an Abbas Kiristami film yep. from a 90s. Yep, like it's just, yep. That, that's it. It is meta Upon beyond the point of deconstruction and yet folding back in on itself mm-hmm. and yet shot like a crazy fucking in a in a beautiful ode to to the friendship of the people who made it and how you can never go back shir- to that moment. yeah you can never go back to that moment shirkers is always going to be this sort of incomplete time capsule that will bind these people for the rest of their lives and it's just it's it's as much a an artifact as it is a time in their life. So yeah, yeah. I gotta watch it. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So that was your number two. That was my number two. Well, my number one. Ha! Just kidding. My number two. Okay, so I just want to preface this <laughs> by saying that I know snuff films are not usually talked about. <laughs> <laughs> no, I please continue. <laughs> No, but I do want to say that my number one and two, I feel like I say this every year and I don't give a fuck, but are kind of a nice little one-two punch because I truly believe that my number two is a timely film but not a timeless film, whereas my number one will end up being, I think, a timely and a timeless film. So I fully concede that maybe in five to ten years I won't think this much about the film above about to talk about but in this moment in this vacuum of time i can't not stop thinking about it and how it fits into this current uh place in time film tank is nothing if not a time capsule of our entire evolution of like filming like like going back to the first couple episodes of you talking about your um your sort of uh, nascent affinity for horror films or even like your total re- revulsion of superhero stuff. Yeah. Like it's still partly there. Yeah, but still like it's just it's but incredible no, yeah. it's incredible to see this arc. Oh yes. <laughs> uh so it's been my an number, epic journey. 
My number two is Joseph Kahn's Bodied, mm. which is a YouTube film, because that's the kind of world we're living in. Oh, boy. <laughs> a YouTube uh, film. Uh, Sorry. It's, it's uh, the way you said it's it. It's unfortunate. but <laughs> It's unfortunate. It is not a YouTube film. <laughs> Your second favorite film is It's Unfortunate. It's not a YouTube film in quality. Like, I don't know. Whatever you think of when you think of YouTube film is completely fair, but it's mm-hmm. just a film that YouTube acquired. <laughs> like, they just paid enough money to, I guess, be the platform that gets to uh to stream it and i'm glad they did because i got to watch it for free because uh you can sign up for youtube premium or whatever they call it for free for the first month youtube red yeah which i so i got to watch it for free Mm -hmm. uh and i gotta say i fucking love this movie it is everything that is happening right now um from everybody's current discourse to the reflection on past discourse, to the erasure of the bridge of how we got there to now. It is whitewashing. It is ghettoizing. It is so many things, and yet it is also trying to eviscerate these notions of that anything is black and white or Mm -hmm. that uh, context is somehow all-encompassing. For example... You know, like, let's just take the idea because it's all about battle rap and whatnot. And so, you know, we we look at the history of rap, for example, and, you know, listen to a uh, an Eminem record from 15 years ago. And I personally still stand by them as documents of music. Like, I, yeah, I do. what they were back then was crazy and like of that time and place and right. yet that doesn't also mean that even if we know better now that it was somehow okay then to no. uh, have such misogyny and uh, homophobia we, as quote-unquote jokes I, it was it was a time when a rapper could not so much as wear a pink polo without being like lobbed with with homophobic pejoratives and just basically chased out of the music industry and like that, 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 that was a very, yeah. very different time. Absolutely. It was, a, it was a time of performative masculinity and of and of just over-the-top aggression. Yeah, and that's also why I really want you to watch this movie yeah. one day. Just watch it once. Yeah. You don't ever have to watch it again. Well, we should but, watch it sometime. But I genuinely want to have a conversation after it because this is about a white male who is going to enter the <laughs> the realm of battle rap because he's currently writing his dissertation on the use of the n-word in battle rap and so he has an idol that he loves uh who's a very in this movie prominent uh, african-american battle rapper and he goes to see one of his performances and then kind of bothers him after the show and you know from the first scene on that rapper as much as he kind of finds him endearing, because he's just like, oh, he's just a white kid who's harmless, whatever. He also doesn't not <laughs> rip open what he's saying, because he's like, so what are you doing? He's like, I'm writing a dissertation on the, the use of the N-word during battle rap. And he goes, oh, so you want to say the N-word? He's like, no, 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 no. I'm just trying to look at the, the rhetoric behind. He's like, okay. So you wanted to say the N-word? <laughs> yeah, okay. you know, and, it, and he's not even like acting like he's mad, but he's just, you know, obviously telling it like it is. Yeah. And so the two of them develop this kind of friendship because it turns out that this white boy is actually kind of decent at battle rap because 
of his background in, and yes, the movie makes fun of this, but slam poetry yeah. and, and yeah, other yeah. things like that. Yeah. Um, and because of his vast array of pop culture references and uh, academic you know, shit that he can bring out at, at a moment's notice. I will say that there was one line, and I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast that I saw on the in the trailer that I thought was actually a very good line. It was like he was like getting in some guy's face, like just because you look like Kim Jong un, you're not ill son. Like yes. that was that was actually a pretty fucking that well, was that was a pretty dope and line. The yeah. movie will basically have a conversation with itself in trying to say, why do we, and I say me and yeah, you, yeah. take pleasure from something like that? Because he actually goes into that battle right. specifically not going to use any Korean right. references. Right. And it's not until he starts failing miserably yeah. that he finally says, okay, fine, fuck it. Right. And then he pulls all of them out, and they're actually good lines. Yeah. They're... And so then it becomes this uncomfortable nature of you know falling up. Why? Yeah, and, why? Yeah. And um, the last thing I'll say about this movie before I pass it off, but I, I genuinely think it's a movie to watch. You can hate it, you can love it, but there is so much happening in here that it's impossible not to react to it and not to talk about it, I mm-hmm. think, afterwards. But the final sequence, which is kind of 40 minutes long at the end, uh, which is this elongated actual rap battle that happens between many characters, including the main characters and some of the supporting characters, 40 minutes, almost all battle rap, that actually spectacularly, spellbindingly wraps up everybody's character arc in satisfying, unsatisfying ways and in dramatic and yet trivial uh, and yet some of the best songwriting I've heard joke, joke, anywhere. Ca- joke, yeah, characters, joke, writing. joke characters get their joke ending. Serious characters get their serious ending. And like. it is fucked up. It is <laughs> so good. And it is genuinely something that, like, when that sequence was over, I wanted to watch that sequence again. And mm. instead, I actually just ended up watching the film again. Because yeah. I was just like, no, because part of it is a Lynn Emanuel who? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> um, and this movie comes down on, I think, the right side of the fence, which is that it doesn't try to have an answer as to what is right and what is not right in a culture that was made. Because first of all, this was made by an Asian-American actor. Yeah, or, uh, filmmaker. Yeah, he's done a lot of music videos too. Right. Centered around a white guy entering a predominantly uh, African-American <laughs> culture. So there's a lot happening here as far as the melting pot goes. But the movie does say no matter what, whether your jokes are good or whether your intent was pure, words have consequences. And it completely sticks that landing to a point where it's just kind of eerie how in a world in which – and the movie makes fun of this because the movie makes fun of everything, which is kind of the point. uh, In a world where we have these micro moments of seeing one thing on Twitter and then retweeting it with your own joke about it even though you know literally nothing about that situation. And I've been guilty of this too. You know, Uh, Maybe the discourse is so fucking noisy that we should all just shut up for one second because we don't truly understand what we're saying. Yes, and and how it could be offensive in its own right, even if we consider ourselves as quote unquote liberals mm-hmm. or right. uh, you know friends to all and whatnot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just think it's kind of spectacular. It's such a under the radar film that it makes me sad that because it went to YouTube, that probably nobody's going to watch this. But in reality, it would have been a talking piece for good or yeah. for worse. So. Yeah. Uh, number two for me was Bodied by Joseph Kahn. Wonderful. Uh, my number two was just a wonderful, whimsical film that uh, was made me smile and happy at the movie theater both times I saw it. Wreck-It Ralph 2? No. 
I was going to uh, say the 25th anniversary of Schindler's List. <laughs> Damn, son. Wow. Now, see, Body would tell me that I'm a horrible person even if I was just kidding. Yeah. Just fair. He's something if... Uh... No, I'm not going to go. Yep, there. don't go there. Don't go, just tell us what your second film was. Just, tell, just tell me what your film is. This is not good for me. Yep. If I do that. Yep, that's fine. Yep. Uh, my second film was... I'm proud of you. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm taking a step towards recovery. Good. <laughs> yep. My second uh, film of the year was Mary Poppins Returns. Okay. Which I thought oh. was... I was way off. Okay. God damn it. Well, you, you made the... Did, okay. <laughs> Yep. Um, I thought this film was an absolute delight, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed every set piece in this film, and for different reasons, too. I thought the lighting here, especially in some of the later scenes, was fantastic. Um, I thought the acting performances were really good, especially Emily Blunt and Lin-Manuel Miranda. And then and Ben Wishaw, ben Wishaw too. Can't forget about him. He was wonderful as well. Uh, and Colin Firth. This this film just had a lot of things that made me feel happy at the movie theater. But at the same time, I enjoyed and thought that there was wonderful songwriting, wonderful script writing, and um, just good glue that held these different songs and performances and set pieces together. And even if the story is not super original, as it's very similar to the original Mary Poppins, um, and the final message isn't, you know, completely different than the original Mary Poppins or other films of this kind of ilk. Um, that to me was not the point. The point was that this film was supposed to be entertaining and make people laugh and smile and feel good. And I feel like it accomplishes that in almost every way. Um, and nothing really signifies that to me better than the wonderful final scene uh, with people flying on balloons around and singing the file number, which to me reminded me a little bit of uh, the final number at the end of the original Muppet movie, which was one of the most like heartwarming, wonderful things that that you know is what my personal belief of what you know something like heaven or something like that would be like, where people are just happy and are able to be themselves and are just in their own element. And it's just, um, it's just a wonderful, wonderful film that um, does have its own drama through it and does have sadness and does have people coping with actual real life things uh, like death and, and other things like that. But at the same time, um, this is just whimsical and fun and really has, Pretty much everything in it. So I was a huge fan of Mary Poppins Returns. And um, I'm glad it turned out the way it did. Because to me, when I first heard about this film, I couldn't have been less interested. Mm. And yet the final product <laughs> um, turned out to be just a absolute delight. Mm. I just want to say that uh, Colton Burpo would want to have some words with you on your interpretation of heaven. Because he's been there. And okay. it's not quite like that. Okay. Thanks for clearing that up. That's a joke that just kind of went over my head. So. Colt Burpo is the little boy who said he went to heaven when he was dead for like three seconds. Uh, it was based, uh, there was a movie on it called Heaven is for Real. And oh, then yeah, it was found yeah. out that the parents told him to say that, of course. And oh, of course. Anyway. Yeah, that's great. I'm just reaching deep for those Christian deep cuts like I do. Oh, yeah. 
I was use, I was using heaven as kind of like a. I know. It was it was just a, it was it was just a nice it was just a nice time, Nick. Simple example, yeah. but that's okay. Yeah. I really wanted to bring up a Colton Burpo reference. Yeah, thank you for I that. that it's, when you that, had that kind that of sounds last like the, name, that sounds like a fucking character from Star Wars. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I will say I also saw Mary Poppins Returns, mm-hmm. and I also thought it was adorable, mm-hmm. and I had a lot of fun watching it. Yep. It is a uh, a film that I feel like is easy for people to watch and enjoy what they're watching. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was wonderful. And again, uh, the performances in that were also quite wonderful, as mentioned um, earlier when I was talking about it. Yeah. So, moving on yeah. to our number one so, film of the year my, starting with Tucson my number one film of the year speaking of Christian deep cuts this <laughs> film this film came the out shack. this film came out that was 2017 um, so it's ineligible technically technically came out in 2017 but it didn't reach a mass un- like uh, United States audience until 2018 okay. um all I have to ask is will God forgive us um because my first my first top favorite film of this year is Paul Schreider's First Reformed. Mm, yes. um, that film is fucking incredible. Um, Paul Schreider, if you don't know, is the... Um, that's how you pronounce his name correctly, right? Yeah. Paul Schrader? I think it's Schrader. Schrader? Yeah, Paul Schrader. Um, he is uh, a legendary screenwriter who has worked with Martin Scorsese on several films such as Raging Bull and Taxi Driver. And basically what um, First Reformed is is... It's basically like 21st century taxi driver meets uh, Winter Light by Igmar Bergman. Yes, it is. Um, I, I know that because uh, he's actually like cited that as a reference to it. And I know it's th- very clear. And it's very, very clear. I, I know that. It's like I haven't actually seen Winter Light. I've just, just talked. one of I've, my top 50 films of all time. I have to watch it, yes. Um, I very much enjoyed this film. I thought it was extraordinary. I thought that um, – uh, Ethan Hawke was just exemplary in his role as uh, Ernst, Reverend Ernst Teller of, uh, of of the First Reformed Church, and everything from from beginning to end was just like absolutely my shit because it was just like this absolute dark night of the soul of this man in a spiritual crisis trying to find some cause to 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 reanimate that sort of like. That 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 faith, that momentum, and then finding it in one of the most dark and complicated like conflicts that defines our era right now, our entire lifetime right now, and I loved it. From it's hard to see the forest from the trees. It's hard to see the trees at all. It's hard to see the trees at all. Fucking Nick. Oh my god. Um, it was. It was extraordinary. I um, can I say yes, please. Uh, the topic of this, yes, film. I absolutely loved it. Uh, I was gonna mention it as an honorable mention, mm-hmm. but I kind of thought you might be mentioning it, so yeah. I was waiting until now to yeah. say that I very much enjoyed yes. this film. Obviously, 
two of my favorite films of all time being his influence. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I ever enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed it as a sum of those two parts. Right, exactly, yeah. But it's fantastic. It's right. fantastically acted. It's fantastically made. It's mm-hmm. definitely one of the best things I've seen all year. Yeah. Um, and I'm not actually, this is not a joke, and I mean that sincerely mm-hmm. because it's going to sound like one, but actually I was kind of surprised that I really enjoyed Cedric the Entertainer in his random role. Like, it was this weird... It, so- it sounds like a joke, but you're right. Like, this no, it was no. really... Really fucking good. Yeah. It's like it's like in Gone Girl when what's his fucking Tyler name? Perry. when Tyler Perry yeah. actually delivers a pretty fucking yeah. great like line. Like you say that and somebody laughs like, ha, I bet he was like, no, he actually yeah, I mean, really he, was. He just shows up to be the kind of not the face of the church, but the kind of uh, spiritual the, advisor he, to uh, people below him, which in this case is uh, the Reverend. Himself. He is the the. He plays the quintessential like televangelist to a yeah. T, and um, but he also seems really <clears throat> grounded. Like he doesn't seem like the kind of like evil. Like it's just he's more of a victim of just that corporatization. Yeah, he's he's, he's he's more. Of I like, don't take him as someone who's a grifter. Yeah, just someone that bought a little too much into the right. globalization. Of, right. of this shit. Yeah, it's like he's he's um, it's uh, the devil you can live with. The evil that you can that you can abide for yeah. the for the in the sake of good, and I'm just like man, like there's just there's degrees, there's levels to this shit, and sometimes it's just it's it's as gr- it's granular as a line in the sand, or it's as like un like uncrossable as a fucking wall, as a brick wall, yeah. yeah. So yeah, no, it's a great film, and also Amanda Seyfried. She is was incredible. Fantastic. Yeah, she was so good yes. in this. Um, yeah, she and especially for a character who has, for a lot of the movie, has to essentially be a kind of a voice piece for a different character mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. You know, because yeah. that's kind of her initial role. Not to say that she doesn't evolve out of, but that, she grows out of. Yeah, but that um, a lot of what we know about her is what we know about her loved one right. and and how that affected her and whatnot. The and, final 20 minutes of this film was just like, oh man, it's like somebody just, just wrapped my body in barbed wire and put a fucking coat over me. Cause it was, it was a lot of tension. It was really, it was really hard to move. It was really hard to fix myself out of seat Cause I just felt bound. Like I was just, hmm. I was just about to explode. Holy shit. Well, yeah. It was it was it was a lot. I love this film. It's a good film. Yeah. So that was your number one. Yep. First reform. It was so enjoyable. It was the exact opposite of drinking Drano. <laughs> it, it would be yes. Um, my number one. Uh, had to think about that for a second because I was now just <laughs> visualizing. Uh, Ethan Hawke pouring. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. I was glass. being cheeky about it. No, no. I mean that's what happens. Uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> My number one is a film we have mentioned on this podcast, mm-hmm. and it is Revenge. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Uh, yes, this French production of a kind of modern-day horror film uh, of the, and I hate to be this talking point, but of the Me Too era, so to speak. Mm. Um, I think what I said earlier, that it transcends that because it is, A, a genuinely great horror film, uh, message aside, like it is thrilling, it is uncomfortable, it is terrifying, it is uh, staggeringly staged. I mean, the geography of this kind of desolate canyon uh, area is so well utilized from the uh, 
open vastness of some of the chase scenes, like when all three of them are initially on their uh, vehicles, which I love how they all have a different vehicle, which I feel like those vehicles say a lot about those characters from the uh, lazy guy who's on the four-wheeler, which is like literally he hasn't gotten off the couch. He's just allowed to you know drive that, uh, so on and so forth. I won't get too much into the symbolism, yeah. but there's a lot there, I think, that you can read from, from every inch of this film uh, to the cave scene, which is so gorgeously lit and, and, and tableau-esque framed. Uh, and the even even everything down to the logo on the beer can that they're drinking from and then that ends up getting burnt onto her body in a, in a way um very interesting i agree and i was going to say matilda lutz who plays the main character of jen uh is so so good in this she was almost my favorite female uh performance of the year so i can say I won't say who, obviously, but she was right up there because she completely and convincingly plays every turn in this film. When she is in the first 15 to 20 minutes, she is a certain kind of person. And that person is not morally bad or good, but is so susceptible to prejudgments and uh, victimization and whatnot that by the time she is literally reborn... Um, she completely and ultimately sells that, not as a transformation, but as a literal phoenix rising from the ashes. Mm. And that's who she has been all along. It's just she didn't need to be that until yeah. she found that in herself. Yes, and it was so amazing to watch personally. And this is obviously uh, directed by a female, which is very important, and I think it really shows by uh, Coralie Fargier. Um, who so fantastically takes the male gaze of the first 10 minutes or so, and that completely washes away by the time uh, the shit has gotten real. And despite the fact that she is literally, from like the 30-minute mark on, running around in her underwear, shooting guns, and being a quote-unquote badass, it is always empowering and yet never sexy. And it's such... It makes such a difference. That's when a you, fine line, yeah. yeah. And it makes such a difference when you have, I think, a female auteur behind the camera because they know what it looks like when a man, because we've seen that movie a million times. And as much as I like uh, a Laura Croft, uh, you know, icon of a you know heroine, uh, you know, it it is very old and very unnecessary these days, and we don't need to uh, put them in push-up bras just to take them seriously. Yeah, and. Um... To, to go along with what you were talking about, about her her advancement through this and also about the male gaze throughout this film, um, one of the most interesting parts, other than just the actual action on the screen, is to step back and think about the fact that the finale of this film literally takes place inside a home with the man that she came with. Yes. Uh, who is really the, the biggest villain at the end of the day and it does a lot of dastardly things throughout here, almost like a, you know... a comic book villain to to an extent but really it's interesting because he he's was, like way too organized for this shit yeah. as far as like having for something, a, for something having that wasn't plan that wasn't supposed to happen like <laughs> yeah. he's pretty oh great now i gotta open the no. contingency but the the fucked up thing about it is his composure uh and the fact that the other two do not have that mm. makes me feel like he's probably done, done this before, before. Yeah. yes yep. even if it was at a smaller scale obviously yeah. but just the kind of payoff type whatever yep. um he's the kind of guy who keeps kept women 
Yeah. yeah. And um, I got to say, the three guys are so wonderfully cast and written because they are three different types of complicity. You have the the pretty, I would say the standard one, which is, I think, even us three in this room as far as, even if we witness far less severe things, mm-hmm. but the guy who watched it and just didn't went, do anything. Went to the other room and decided right. that that's not his problem. And right. right. To the guy who obviously committed the act and, mm-hmm. and went through it, to the guy who Covers basically the... acknowledges it, like that it's bad and whatnot, but because the event is over and, you know, is not his problem, just yeah. basically feels that her. She should be more happy that she can make money from this and, you know, be quote unquote better off then she should be upset about the actual event. And yeah. and obviously he becomes the worst because I do think in a lot of ways that's what uh, perpetuates something like yeah. this. Um, Just the craven, opportunistic, like, ugh. Yep. Yeah. And I'll point out one little detail, and there's a million little details, but one little detail that I absolutely love, and if anyone watches it for the first time, definitely you'll notice this now or rewatch it, uh, is that I love that the arrival of his two friends to the compound is shown as a tracking shot of behind Matilda Lutz's character. She goes to the fridge and then comes back, and then she noticed them staring through the glass doors, literally in a barbaric, almost animalistic, like, oh, girl, you know, whatever. And that is completely folded in on itself when the guy... Yeah. Thinks he's alone in the house and has gotten away, only to walk out naked into his living room and find that that girl is now on the other side of the glass mm-hmm. with a fucking shotgun, yeah. ready to end this once and for all. Yeah. And it doesn't even call attention to that kind of role reversal and uh, cinematography, uh, you know, editing. But it's style. there, and that's there for you yeah. to notice. Yeah, it is fantastic. Yeah. And there, I could just heap mountains of praise upon this movie, but I genuinely think that besides the fact that this movie feels like it was made for this year, this movie will never, I don't, unfortunately, not be relevant to right. uh, society and, and what we are dealing with. I see and I say we, I mean not us. Right. <laughs> but unfortunately, what we're allowing to just happen on a systemic level and whatnot. All right. I see I see now what where your, your framing was with your number one and your number two now. I see what your argument is. That. Yeah. I try. Yeah. So my number one was Revenge by uh, Coralie Fergiat. Wonderful. I hope. So my number one of the year was on the top of my list basically from the day that I saw it. And even though I had debates between that and the other, uh, mostly two films, even though I really did like Black Klansman a lot, but Roma and Mary Poppins Returns were also right in contention for my number one spot. But this one, I always came back to it. And that's why it is number one uh, at the end of the year. And that is Mission Impossible Fallout. Oh, okay. Which was just... I can see that. ...the most entertaining <clears throat> film I've seen in a long time. You excited about the next ones? No. Okay. Actually, Ooh. I mean, I am, but... Um, wow, this is a pretty stark note, so I was just like, oh. Um, the, but, idea, the idea that they're going to be shot together and bring back uh, two characters that are dead are... are oh, I didn't just, hear about that. Yeah. I only know that they are going to be shot back together and that it was going to be Cruz and McCory returning, yep. so therefore I was like, well, that's no, all I'm, I I'm, I'm, I'm interested, but when I heard about like weaving back in so, Alec Baldwin and Henry Cavill, I was not, not interested. They're both coming back? That's what I heard. Yeah. I mean, if it's for like one scene and it's a... But why is that being... Why is that a thing that's gets released? You can released? do one of them. You can't do both. Anyway. Uh, anyways. 
Um, that being said, obviously I'm looking forward to those films, but what I've heard about them, I've been less than enthused. This film, however, uh, came out with one of the best trailers in cinematic history, in my opinion, and then somehow found a way to deliver on that promise. Yeah. Um, is this was just a two hour and 15 minute roller coaster from start to finish. There were so few low points and the low points felt like they were needed in this film. Uh, the story really just landed on high and low levels. Um, and also as something that I mentioned earlier when talking about Adventures of Fiddy Dwar, and obviously this is to a lesser extent, this film, even though Jeremy Renner is not in this from, he was in the earlier, uh, last two films, um, this film weaves together so many fucking characters throughout uh, its entire structure, and yet still somehow ends up with the torch being passed from Michelle Monaghan um, to, why am I forgetting her name? Rebecca right Ferguson. Rebecca Ferguson. Um, in, a, in a very cathartic moment um, where Michelle Monaghan almost acknowledges that stop feeling bad for me. My life is so much better because I was with you and you really taught me about yourself. And I took from that what has made me into be a better version of myself, which uh, this is not the kind of film that gives off, you know, the mission impossible films have not given off a lot of great life and learning moments, but I thought that this one was really important with that. In addition, it brought back an old villain who I thought was actually better in this one than the last one. And also to I think it also retroactively makes him better in the last one. Yeah. Like the the idea that that wasn't the only time we got to see him makes his kind of stalling uh chess esque villain all the better in my opinion, retroactively. Yeah. Um and there really was just nothing like sitting with um, our, our I guess we've had many times before, Brian and his son in the IMAX theater um, and just chowing down on a large popcorn and watching this film on the IMAX screen. Um, that well, was, I was just, like, wait, what? But I wasn't there. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, was Whoa. just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, all of the major set pieces obviously looked and were played fantastically. But then all of the action sequences and the fight sequences were just choreographed so well um, and had such well-done comedic timing throughout them. Uh, this film really, to me, had everything. And I've come to terms a little bit with the fact that the ending scene probably does linger on a little too long. But at the same time, uh, there's still plenty there to just absolutely enjoy from start to finish in that last you know 30 minutes or so of the final scene. Um, I just love this film. There was so much about it that made me enjoy watching it. And this is a film that to me goes by in a breeze, even though it's two hours and 15 minutes or two hours and 20 minutes or something like that. And it's just a, a really put together film and a series that kind of like the fast and furious series has really just gotten better with age. Yeah. So. I gotta say, I don't think there's more a, more of a 2018 moment in cinema than Henry Cavill reloading his fifty cuffs. <laughs> yeah, and growing his fucking beard while doing it. 
Yeah, that mustache too. Yeah, yeah that's, you got to got to have it. I'm glad that uh, that was worth uh, derailing the entire like DC cinematic universe. He, let's just be honest. Yeah. Hey, he got fired from that too. He did. He's probably like, cool. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> All I had to do was grow a mustache. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. I've been phoning it in this entire time. Now this 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 movie was fucking awesome. <laughs> it is it fantastic. Is, it is just um, the culmination of of what McQuarrie and Tom Cruise have been doing. Um, and, and it's just this I, franchise. I, I, I really don't know if it could get any better than this. No, but this franchise has clearly, like you just mentioned, Fast and the Furious, kind of in the same boat, which is that by the fifth film, it has reached these new heights because of a new auteur who is kind of now uh, singularly defining the aesthetic of this franchise five films later. Yeah. <laughs> and it's we're all the better as film viewers for it because now we get treated to this and it is uh as someone who obviously action films almost never make it into because uh, even revenge i wouldn't call action you know no, even yeah. though there's some good set pieces mm-hmm. uh this was actually also at like my number 11 or something but i purposefully didn't mention it because i go. wanted to make sure you said your piece but i also fucking love this movie um it is so gorgeously shot it uses the IMAX cameras so wonderfully uh even at home when you see the uh just tall monolith of the nothingness above that cliff when he's sliding off you know to the edge and little things like that are just so well done the also too I feel like this film even with the kind of ending and the the final moment in that kind of makeshift hospital that they have there which is is really wonderful there are a lot of little moments throughout this film that are truly kind of heartbreaking. Um, even though it's kind of just a scene that is not real, but the scene that is totally stolen from heat, uh, where they are going to try to get back, uh, whatever his name is. And they put on the masks that are seriously just literally taken from, uh, the first scene in heat and they just go in and murder everybody. Can I just say, I know you were bummed that that scene wasn't actually happening. And I don't mean that because of like me always being a dick. <laughs> like if this movie had at least the gumption to slightly lean into that kind of like evilness because he was in a tight spot where he had That's to... the type of plausible functional like the the type of plausible perfunctory evil that one would have to commit in a sort of situation yeah. of Mission Impossible. Yeah, and I'm not saying the movie is worse for not Doing that, right? The thing but that, the thing I that, will admit that I would fully, yeah. Like I probably would have put that in my top six but, if, and it was it would be shot and edited the same way. I mean, I love yeah. the dream esque right. nature of the shooting, which mm-hmm. obviously that's why. But even if it was shot and edited like that, where it would have been this surreal moment of like Ethan Cunt character having to commit acts of atrocities that he had been trying to obviously prevent for five films. Uh, that would have been a sad and yet kind of wonderfully sober moment. Yeah, but I I don't think that as much as I would really appreciate that sort of moment, I think that audiences would go to a film like Sicario in order to like get that sort of vibe of like seeing the the sort of seedy like morally like gray sort of tactics that 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 law enforcement would have to have to abide to in order to like affect what is essentially supposed to be good versus like mission impossible, which has, which, 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 which operates in a totally different lane of like fantasy. 
Yeah, like but, science but, fiction but, fantasy. But, but that being yeah. said, I, I completely am, am with you, Tucson. Right. And, and I actually do like that it played out the way it worked. Right, where yeah. It showed you what that would be like. Right. Made it feel real, even though it was kind of just like a dreamy type sequence. That that reality is a fantasy within the universe of Mission Impossible but, is a comment on the actual quality of the of the, the series itself. Yeah, something we haven't gotten in a while, I feel like, in this series, and in really any Tom Cruise film, um, is him having to coldly execute people yeah. uh, in the middle of daylight later on in yeah. the film. Yeah. Which is, even though they are bad guys, like... But they're not bad guys. I mean, he it, it is one of like the hazards of the job. Yeah, and... I was gonna say that's why it. Even though I, this is obviously what was always going to happen. That wouldn't have been out of the realm of what technically he does for a living. Sure. So that's why I was like in my head, I'm like, oh my god, because it's happening right now on screen. That means there's a one percent chance that. <laughs> Because at first it was zero, yeah. but until it just presented it, I'm like, now there's a 1% chance that you know it's going to go there. Yeah. And the fact that it didn't is, honestly, like I said, it did not make the film worse or anything like yeah. that. I just thought that would have been a pretty bold mainstream choice. It would have been. And I think it would have gotten away with it, personally. Probably. Not like it should then turn into misery porn and, and Lars von Trier, Ethan Hunt's <laughs> character. Gets... I'm just like, every scene we cut to him and he's going to maybe pull the trigger on his temple or something. Like, no, we don't have to do that. <laughs> Looks like this is the real Mission Impossible. The, I just can't the, seem the, to die. The real Mission Impossible is learning to live with myself and all the things I've done. Well, you know, should you choose to accept it? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally like a fucking line out of Camus. <laughs> so, anyway. Yep. I just yep. mind myself shooting myself like seven times <laughs> in a row. <laughs> Shit, man. Anyway. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's what we That's got. a 2018 mood right there. Woo! Oh, my God. Uh, if anybody out there has any uh, lists that they would like to uh, have us see yes. and um, we will know, read them talk all. about on an episode, please feel free to send us your top six of 2018 to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Uh, so we will have our second part of our episode coming up here um, that we're going to record right now, but you can listen to it anytime as uh, part two of our top six of 2018 will be on our next episode. So we will uh, catch up with you then here on Film Tank. Film Tank.